And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Help you get over the hump and towards the weekend with this on this Wednesday with plenty to do over the next few hours. Coming up, more information on Deshaun Watson and none of it good. Plus, the latest on the Live Golf Tour. Two stories. That continue each and every day. The latest, uh, the two dramas in the sports world. With more information trickling out each and every day. We'll be all over both. Jeremy Schilling will join us later on this hour to talk about everything going on in the golf world. Is Cam Newton delusional? Plus, which college football teams will be the most improved this year? Which quarterbacks are ready to lead their teams to the top of college football? An hour from now. We'll try to catch up with the winner of uh, that cheese race from England over the weekend. Won by a recent NC State grad from North Carolina. And one of the more fascinating things to go on in the sports world, if you want to include it in the sports world. We'll talk about that experience an hour from now. And a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. With you till 3, you can join the conversation throughout 843 721 9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show. 843. Oh no. I have forgotten the text line. 843. Oh my goodness. 608. Wow, you 1734. Know you know I it better believe, than me. I believe the text line that is. That sounds Luke. correct. Yeah. It's only Wednesday. 608 1734. Very good. Trent listens. That was a test. See, that's what that was to make sure Trent, Trent listens when I talk. Just trying to keep a job around here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can get to us on Twitter. I mean, there's so many things to say. I forget them from time to time. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page. Leave a comment for the show there. And uh, you can also email the show. Studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com. I think that's everything. Where am I? What's going on right now? Uh, Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing a lot better now, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I'm doing good. Long couple days without basketball, Luke, yeah. so I'm glad we got it back tonight. The 9 p.m. start is a little tough for not uh, like night owls like myself. I know you're a night owl, so you're loving these uh, late starts oh, yeah. for me. It's hard to stay up, Luke. I'm an mm. old man, but look, I'm excited for this game tonight. We've got live golf drama. We've got a cheese wheel, a cheese run, you know, contestant coming on the show today. How could you not be excited on this beautiful Wednesday? That's right. We had our first international guest, I think. A few months ago. Well, we tried. It didn't really work with uh, Scott Pollard down in Mexico. The uh, winner, Abby Lampy, who won that cheese race, is in Brazil. Oh, my. So let's hope that technology works out for us this time around, and we'll catch up with her an hour from now. 
Those are the, honestly, I, I love everybody we have on the show. Those are the conversations I love most. During the pandemic, we had to maybe get a little creative and fill some time when sports weren't going on. So we had like a bank robber on the show. Mm. We had a former member of the mob. We had a, a psychic on the show try to predict the future of sports. <laughs> Those are the conversations I like the probably the most. Like I'll enjoy talking to Jeremy about golf because that's a wild story right now, very uh, dramatic. We'll talk about the Live Golf Tour. But I'm looking forward to this conversation about a woman who chose to uh, go tumbling down a hill after a, a circle, a wheel of cheese in England, and I think the prize is just to keep the cheese. That's all. And you risk a serious injury. So anyways, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Coming up an hour from now. I think Bobby may have left the heater on. It's very warm in here today. Maybe that's why I have all sorts of mental fog. Very hot. Let me start with this. Uh, the NBA Finals does return tonight. Now to Trent's point, we've been waiting days for Game 3 of the NBA Finals tonight. And when you don't have games going on like that, that's when you pay more attention to the Deshaun Watson stuff. And you pay more attention to the Live Golf Tour. And more of the off-the-court, almost like TMZ type of headlines this time of year. They at least get more attention. During a football season, they may be brushed under the rug a little bit more. Right? They may be more easily forgotten. So I look forward to having a big NBA Finals Game 3 tonight to distract us from all the other things, the lousy headlines in sports that we will get to throughout the afternoon, but the other things going on. Now, Game 3 of the NBA Finals tonight, I anticipate the Celtics will bounce back. They're at home, first home Finals game in Boston in 12 years. I'm sure it will be a wild environment in there. And I think the Celtics, just from what we've seen, they have not lost back-to-back games in the playoffs all year, all postseason. They've only lost back-to-back games once since January, the middle of January. So I imagine they'll bounce back. I think Jason Tatum plays well tonight. I don't think they turn the basketball over as much. That's been the big difference maker. And Scott Foster is the head official tonight. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to set the tone with Draymond Green with another early technical. But if not... Or even if they do, I think the Celtics will be better prepared where they won't allow Draymond to try to get under their skin so much. It's a big game three tonight. Whoever wins this game obviously takes a lead. The other team's chasing. If the Warriors win game three, not only will they have the lead in the series, they'll also have home court. So that's a huge advantage. If you're Boston, obviously it'd be ideal if you win both here at home. And the team that wins game three of a 1-1 series wins about 72% of the time which is interesting because the Celtics won game one. The winner of just simply game one wins the series the vast majority of the time. I think the Celtics win tonight in game three. The winner of game three wins the vast majority of the time. And yet I still think the Warriors win the NBA Finals, maybe in seven games. But I think the Celtics bounce back tonight. Their favorite tonight. I think they win at home. They play well. Golden State probably will win game four. We'll see what happens. And I think the Warriors still win the series. But I expect a much better effort tonight for Boston. Horford will make some shots. Tatum will uh, play better. They'll take better care of the basketball. It should be a lot of fun at Boston Garden, or whatever they call it nowadays. And it should be a fun environment tonight, Game 3. Good to have the NBA Finals back. But let me shift to this. A couple of things with Clemson. Number one, Clemson got a couple of commits over the past 24 hours. A couple of guys that visited over the weekend. We talked about this on the show last week, that for the first time since they allowed it to happen four years ago, Clemson was going to welcome in recruits this early in the summer or do so on their own dime, right, on Clemson's dime. And they had eight kids come in this past weekend. Two of the kids end up signing. Seems like a good thing. Seems like immediate success for Dabo and Clemson. Seems like it already paid off. And I referenced this study many times. 
But there was a study done uh, years ago where they forced people to make changes. And you would have to flip a coin. And just say, if it was heads, you'd have to make a certain change. If it was tails, you'd keep doing everything the same. And people were forced to make some sort of change in their life. Maybe it's ending a relationship. Maybe it's making a move. Maybe it's changing jobs. Whatever it is in your life that you oftentimes struggle with. Because we don't like to change. Sometimes you have to be forced to change. And they found in this study, six months later, they brought everybody back, uh, checked, uh, you know, asked some questions, checked how they were doing, and the people that were forced to make the change were happier than those who didn't make the change. A lot of times change can be the best thing for you, and sometimes you need to be forced to make said change. We know Dabo doesn't really like a lot of the changes going on in college football. And for better or worse, he may be forced to keep up with some of these things. And so for the first time, Clemson brings recruits on with official visits here, in June, and it leads to a couple of uh, signees here uh, within 24 hours. Not bad. One of the kids a four-star, another kid's a three-star. One's from Texas, like Klubnik, all right, going to come play on the offensive line. Pretty good. And you can see the benefits of playing along with some of the changes in college football. And if Clemson starts to use the transfer portal, that would be another weapon right? They, they, they could use to their advantage as well. But it didn't take long. Clemson made a change and said, okay, you know what? This has been a rule for four years. We've ignored it. Now this is kind of the direction college football is going in. Let's start doing this. And the first time they have kids on, within 24 hours, they get a couple of uh, letters of commitment, their intent. They get a couple of signees. Works out. When you decide to keep up with the direction your industry is moving in, usually a good thing so that you don't fall behind. ESPN.com put out today, uh, they ranked all 131 quarterback situations for college football this year. Now, I always say in the show, if you listen to the show, I always say college football, even the NFL, it's become a lot simpler nowadays. It's just about the quarterback. The best quarterbacks are the ones left standing in the end. Now, oddly enough, I'll also admit when maybe I'm wrong, college football last year was the exception. You did have Bryce Young in the national championship, but, for example, C.J. Stroud missed the playoff. Michigan did not have a great quarterback. Cincinnati did, amongst a group of five. Georgia did not. Georgia, however, was led by a historic defense that you probably can't duplicate. This year in the NBA Finals, right, I've, I've been saying for, for years here in this market that defense no longer wins. It's offense that wins. And yet in the NBA Finals, we have the top two defensive teams in the Finals for the first time in over 25 years. So the pendulum has swung back a little bit over the past year, but I still believe it comes down to quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford in the Super Bowl, right? Burrow played like one of the best quarterbacks in the AFC. And Stafford played certainly well enough to get the Rams there as well. You need a quarterback to take you where you want to go. So ESPN.com did their quarterback rankings. And this is what would be concerning for Clemson. Look, if you look last year throughout college football, Cincinnati was the best group of five team. They had the best group of five quarterback. He was the highest drafted group of five quarterback this year. Pittsburgh and Wake Forest made it to the ACC title game. They had the two best quarterbacks. Alabama won the SEC. They had the best quarterback in their conference. There are a couple of outliers or exception along the way, right? Like Ohio State did not make it to the Big Ten title game. I think they have the, the best quarterback in their conference. But overall, you usually need the best quarterback. So Tier 1 on ESPN.com, they ranked all the quarterback situations. Tier 1, which are the Heisman candidates, include C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Caleb Williams at USC. Ohio State and Alabama are the two clear favorites, and people are very high on USC. Maybe most concerning, if you're a Clemson fan, Tier 2, which is labeled the Heisman Waiting Room. 
and that includes NC State's quarterback and Miami's quarterback. Two ACC teams. Also in that category is Utah's quarterback. I've been pumping up Utah over the past week on the show. I think they're going to be really good this year. And they may have one of the better quarterbacks in the country. Then you get towards the Tier 3 with the pretty, pretty good players. And there you have Wake Forest quarterback. You have Virginia's quarterback. You have Louisville's quarterback. More guys out of the ACC that don't play for Clemson. If you're an SEC fan, this is where you find Hendon Hooker from Tennessee and Will Rogers from Mississippi State and K.J. Jefferson from Arkansas. And if you scroll down even further, we get to Tier 4, which is the category listed as definitely, probably, maybe. And this includes Kentucky's Will Levis, South Carolina's Spencer Rattler, but still nobody for Clemson. Tier 5, that's when you reach Jackson Dart from Ole Miss, Anthony Richardson from Florida, more SEC quarterbacks, Clint Ewers, now at Texas. Tier 6, that's when we reach Pittsburgh, who had Slovis transfer in. West Virginia, even, with JT Daniels, who transferred in. Boston College's quarterback, who I always get his name wrong. Tier 7, continuing down the list. You even get to a Maryland and Michigan State, and that's where you find Michigan. And so on and so forth, right? Tier 9, that's Florida State, another ACC quarterback on the list. Down to Tier 10, oh, UNC's quarterback is in Tier 10. You'd also find LSU, Texas A&M, even Notre Dame. And down at Tier 11, along with Georgia Tech, that's where you find Kate Klubnik and DJ for Clemson. In Tier 11. Now, I didn't total up all those names. I didn't even list all the names that are on this list ahead of Tier 11. But I also didn't total them up. But there are 10 tiers. So probably you're talking, I don't know, maybe 50 quarterbacks ahead of Clemson's situation. Not ideal. And when you look at the ACC, about half the teams ahead of them as well. You can still win a conference without the best quarterback. Right? Michigan did it last year. But when you look at the odds in college football, there are clear-cut favorites. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia's up there mostly because of the defense, not because of Stetson Bennett. And while Clemson is the fourth top favorite in college football, there is a big gap between the odds they have to go win a national championship and an Alabama or an Ohio State. And the big difference is because Ohio State and Alabama have Heisman quarterbacks in C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, and Clemson still has a big question mark and probably a project, too, at their quarterback position. I think the two next best teams in the ACC, along with Clemson, are NC State and Miami. And I think they have better quarterback situations. According to this list, and again, just one publication, ESPN.com, but they put Leary and Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami in Tier 2, the Heisman waiting room. They put DJ and Cade Klubnik in Tier 11. That's a pretty big gap, too. Now, Clemson should have the best defense in the conference. We just saw Georgia win the national championship with their legendary defense. So a defense can make up for a lot, not necessarily all. And I'd also say Stetson Bennett played pretty well in the playoff. He was like Nick Foles or Joe Flacco or Eli Manning, those average quarterbacks that become big time in big spots. And Stetson Bennett did that after not playing so hot in the SEC title game. He redeemed himself in the playoff. But I don't know if DJ or even a freshman, Kate Klubnik, has that capability this year for Clemson. And that's the big concern. Even though we have the Celtics and the Warriors in the finals, right, who are two top defensive teams in the league, and we had Georgia win the national championship, which was all about defense a year ago, I think offense still more often than not wins out, and it comes down to the quarterback. And I don't know if Clemson has the quarterback they need within their own conference and within college football. ESPN.com put out their top tiers, ranking all of the quarterback situations. And well down on the list is Clemson behind many ACC teams, that may be their biggest issue this year that keeps them from going where they want to.
When we come back, speaking of quarterbacks and Clemson, we'll get to the uh, Deshaun Watson stuff. Another day and uh, another story. More information coming out, and none of it good, really, for anybody involved. We'll get to that next. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. It seems like in the sports world, there are a couple of stories that, I mean, we can really talk about every day because more information comes out. And when it comes to Deshaun Watson, I'll be honest with you, like I'm, I'm a little uh, fatigued about just discussing it because uh, the details are not great that keep coming out and we're waiting for uh, some sort of resolution. And while we continue to wait, we just get more and more information that just doesn't look great for really anybody involved. And so yesterday, uh, it was um, for the New York Times. Yeah, big, a very long piece from the New York Times. Yeah, I know you read it yesterday. I read it yesterday. It was the talk around here yesterday afterwards. The the piece was uh, put out after we got off the air yesterday, done by uh, Jenny Ventress, who does a, a very good job. She's a... Uh, works in, in on this side, like in investigations, but in the sports world too, and was all over this Desha- this uh, Deshaun Watson situation. Now, you could go read the article for yourself. It's going to take you a little time. It's lengthy, a lot of information in there. It's well done. Uh, a lot of the things discussed in the article we probably can't talk about on the air, at least without getting in trouble ourselves. Um but there are certain, look, a- accusations, right, or accusations. We have no idea what truly happened in some of these situations. So for those that are still skeptical, you could say, like, well, you know, who knows if what they're accusing Deshaun of is true. And that would be accurate. But as we have these depositions and we have Deshaun speaking on record, you get more information, and that's what they did a really good job of digging up here. Some of the facts, some of the um the proof in this whole situation, things that can't be debated. So, for example, what we now know is that while there are 24 lawsuits, there are a lot more women involved in this situation. Deshaun Watson, we do know, this cannot be disputed, visited at least 66 different women for massages over a 17-month period. Now, if you do the math, that's essentially a different woman a week. There are just about 66 weeks in 77, uh, and pardon me, in 17 months. So it equals out to pretty much, right, every week you're going to find somebody new. So 66 different, it's hard to even call them like uh, massage therapists because the other part that Deshaun, you know, spoke on record is that a lot of these women were not licensed or qualified, and Deshaun didn't care. Uh, he was asked, and as he said, it wasn't a priority to check their backgrounds or to see if they were some sort of uh, actually professional massage therapist. 
There's other information throughout this that makes, as I've been saying, uh, everybody look poorly. It makes, obviously, Deshaun look worse. Did he do anything illegal? That's still to be determined. There's a lot of smoke. I can say that. And there's a lot of smoke in all this. 66 different women. There are different hotel rooms that they would go to. He would get a suite at the hotel. He would also have all of them sign uh, a non-disclosure agreement. I don't know how often you go to get a massage. I don't know if you bring an NDA with you before you get your massage or before you do anything in your life. It makes the Texans look poor because we have information in this story that the Houston Texans were the ones that provided him with the NDA to go to these therapy, quote-unquote, therapy sessions. In fact, there was one of these uh, women that posted some things online originally about Deshaun before all of this information reached the mainstream. And this was almost two years ago. It was during the 2020 season. And she posted some stuff on Instagram and said she could really expose Deshaun. And that was when Deshaun Watson went to the Texans and they provided him with an NDA for all of his massages, quote-unquote, moving forward. The Texans also enabled Deshaun by allowing him or helping to provide him with certain rooms where these massages would go down. A lot of them were at hotels or a private area, or there was a story in which he'd even, he even went to one of the massage therapist's mother's home. There are text messages in the story that don't make Deshaun look good. And again, if he didn't do anything illegal, he's at least a creep. We can say that. Uh, some of the text messages are about, uh, you know, can you? Uh, one of the women it was moving. And he was saying, you don't have an hour to break away. Can we do this now? Where are we going to meet at a hotel? Yeah, like very antsy, a little pushy. There's a story about him meeting or trying to meet with the same woman for a second time later on in the day after he already had, let's say, sexual gratification in the first massage. And the woman would not meet with him and then blocked his number and would not meet with him again. There are some uh, serious issues throughout this whole story and ordeal. Now, some of the things we can still debate, right, the accusations. Other things are just known facts. And there's enough facts, there's enough smoke in all this that, again, as I said, if nothing else, uh, he's got some sort of uh, serious issue that needs to be addressed. With the number of different women and the massages and what he's looking for. Now, Rusty Harden has argued it's consensual, and the women were the ones that went on, you know, led themselves on to Deshaun. If that's the case, uh, you know, I mean, this is quite the ladies' man to have all of these women each and every week be so interested there to give a massage and uh, be so interested in a Deshaun Watson. Now, 15 women have come to the defense of Deshaun. There are 24 lawsuits, and also there are other women that have spoken out against Deshaun but are not suing him. So the other popular retort is, right, well, maybe these women are just out for money or to try to get something from Deshaun. Well, there are women that spoke anonymously on the record that are not part of the law that don't want anything from Deshaun that aren't going after him that aren't suing him that aren't trying to get money that aren't using their name for any sort of attention and still spoke about the bad experiences they had with Deshaun Watson more than the 24 women that are actually suing him now as I said earlier everybody looks bad Deshaun looks worse in all this because we get more information that paints him to be if nothing else a bit of a creep with some sort of serious issue that needs to be worked out the Texans look bad because they seem to have some sort of knowledge, at least the knowledge that maybe they didn't know how deep it ran, but they knew something was up. When that woman spoke out on social media and they said, okay, well, moving forward, how about you use this NDA so women can't speak out again about whatever's going on in these rooms? And they help provide rooms 
for uh, Deshaun Watson. Now, again, they may not have known uh, how, how deep this stuff ran or what was truly happening, but I think you would have some sort of wonder in your mind when Deshaun first comes to you with this story asking for help and your answer is to, to give him an NDA moving forward to avoid these situations when you have your own like massage therapist in-house. I think, I think a little red flag would be raised like, wait a minute, hold on. Are, are we making sure that everything is copacetic here? And really, if Deshaun did not want out himself out of Houston, I'm sure he'd still be in Houston. He would have played this past year. And any information or any inkling the Texans may have had, they would have just simply looked the other way on because he is a talented quarterback, and they'd be happy to have him. And the Browns, as more information continues to come out, look worse and worse. And I said it at the time. But to give a guy the biggest contract we've ever had in NFL history. Look, again, right, innocent until proven guilty. Maybe he is truly proven innocent of doing anything illegal. Regardless, with these accusations hanging overhead and just all the smoke that's going around here, it is a bad look for Cleveland to give this guy that sort of contract, to not speak about it. We haven't heard a word from the Browns or Deshaun, and to have more and more accusations and more lawsuits now come out. Now, the Browns did put something in their contract, or in the contract with Deshaun, that if more information came that they were not aware of, we have no idea what Deshaun made them privy to. But there is an out clause that if more comes out that the Browns did not know of, if Deshaun is seen as being kind of deceptive to Cleveland, right, saying like, no, 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 this is all you have to worry about, and then we get even more stuff down the road, and the Browns say, hold on, we didn't know it was this bad, they can get out of said contract. It was still just a bad look, right? And if you're Baker Mayfield sitting at home thinking like, this is who I'm being replaced for? Are you kidding me? You're saying I'm not a big enough adult in the quarterback room? But everybody comes out bad in all this. I think the NFL continues to, the longer you wait to do anything, even if it's just placing him on the commissioner's exempt list until you come out with a permanent punishment. But the longer it drags on, I think the worse it gets. We get more and more information. None of it looks good. And I'll also say this, because I know people still come to the defense of Deshaun, and look, it just, you know, just because 66 women doesn't mean he did anything wrong. I have not heard, maybe I've missed it. If you've seen it, send it to me. I have not seen any sort of support from any other former or current NFL player along the lines of, yeah, that's normal. I, I do the same thing. In fact, I've only heard former NFL players speak out about how this is very strange. That is not normal. I heard Chris Canty this morning on ESPN say this is not, this is not normal at all. This is so weird, 66 women. As Chris Canty explained, he played in the NFL. As he said, you would find one person and you'd stick with them because they knew your body and they would know what it would take to get you back into shape. You would never be jumping around from a different man, woman, whatever, different massage therapist, regardless of what they – you know, uh, what they could do for you, other than a massage. Um, jump around, a different one every week. For 17, for a year and a half, a different one each and every week. There's a lot of smoke here. Now, I don't know if anything's ever going to be proven in terms of uh, the, the legality of all this. And in all my conversations in recent weeks or months with Deshaun, I'm not even looking at it from the legal perspective. That's all above my pay grade. I'm still looking at it just from the NFL. And if I'm Roger Goodell reading all this information, even if he is innocent until proven guilty, even if you can't prove some of these accusations, I think there's enough smoke here that you look at it and think, like, how can we have this guy? As of, If the season began today, he'd be out there playing on Sunday in week one. I think that's a terrible look. And I'll also say if these things are proven true somehow, as hard as that may be, I don't know, then we know if this stuff, if these accusations are proven true, Deshaun Watson is nothing short of a predator and should never play in the NFL again. At minimum... He's got some sort of issue he needs to work through, right? He's got some sort of massage fetish. He's got some sort of power trip he's been dealing with. You know, it's like the old classic, um, the Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan story that they always tell, 
when Tiger Woods early on like didn't really know how to talk to women, he was with Michael Jordan, and Jordan said, like, you should go talk to those women. He's, I don't know what to say. And Jordan just says, just tell him you're Tiger Woods. Similar to Deshaun. When you're at Deshaun Watson, like, you don't need to go to these great lengths to maybe get what you're looking for. And for somebody to do so, to me, that's another red flag as well. A lot of red flags in all this. A lot of smoke. Does it mean he's guilty of doing something illegal? No, not necessarily. We don't know that to be the case. But regardless, as I continue to say, we've seen guys in the NFL get punished without breaking any sort of law. Just for putting themselves in a bad spot, for embarrassing themselves, their team, their league. And all of this has been very embarrassing for the Texans now, for the Browns, certainly for Deshaun, for the NFL. And meanwhile, the NFL continues to stand by. Deshaun did not play last year because he didn't want to play. Not because the NFL did anything. And if the season began today, Deshaun would be playing right now. And I think that's a bad look for the NFL, too. There's enough smoke here where something should be done, even if it's just, hey, why don't we put you on the commissioner's exempt list until we get this figured out, until we know exactly what to believe or what happened or what we should do, how we view this as a league. I know the season is still a couple of months away. You could say, what's the rush? It's just the optics. It's a bad look when he's out there at training camp and he's practicing and he's smiling and he's, you know, he's got the, by the way, and we have to get to Jeremy Schilling. We'll probably circle back to this later on. But that's the other thing, too, that women have expressed, even women that aren't part of the lawsuit. But we've had more lawsuits come out. And part of it is, you know, they've seen Deshaun and his side kind of just brush this whole thing off. They've been rewarded. They got a big contract. He got to go to a better team. He got what he wanted out of Houston. No punishment, no remorse, none of that. And for these women, that if you believe what they're saying, they're sitting at home having dealt with something like this and seeing this guy, right, smiling, making millions of dollars in the NFL and people not buying what uh, these women are saying seriously. And that's only angered more of these women to come forward in recent weeks even those that aren't suing and saying, yeah, yeah, no, he did, he did this to me too. He did some serious stuff. There are more stories in there about having security detail, about, again, dealing with women who weren't licensed, about paying one of that, um, the massage therapy owner places, one of the owners of the spa, $5,000, which he already knew. But then that woman would drive some of the other girls to the hotel to meet Deshaun. Those girls complained in text messages to the woman about what Deshaun was doing. That's a whole bad look that kind of teeters on like some sort of trafficking. It's, There's a lot of smoke. Go read the story for yourself. There's details in there of what Deshaun's asking for in said massages. That's where you get a little dicey. You don't know if it's true or false. That's hard to prove. But there's a lot of smoke of actual facts and details of things that Deshaun addressed uh, in the the depositions when he's on record of facts, of uh, paper trails where we know that he has scheduled uh, appointments with 66 different women at least. There are text messages that don't put him in the best light. There's enough smoke here that obviously – Something's up. may not be illegal, but if nothing else, it's at least creepy. And if I'm the NFL, I don't know if I want that guy playing every Sunday this fall, making the most money in the league. We'll talk about the Live Golf Tour with Jeremy Schilling next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We've been talking over the past week. Well, really going back, it's, it's all come to uh, fruition here recently. But we've been hearing about this, what is now known as the, the Live Golf Tour, or at least the golf events being put on and the golfers moving over there. 
And uh, Jeremy Schilling's been breaking it down for us going back months when this was all just seen as some sort of uh, almost like pie in the sky at one point. Now it's actually happening. And Jeremy's our resident golf expert. He's on Twitter, at Jay Schill. He writes for PGA Magazine, and he joins us every Wednesday. He's with us now. Jeremy, good afternoon. How are you? It's surreal. It is so surreal, uh, Luke, that we are uh, 33 hours, uh, sorry, um, 21 hours away from this happening. Um, it's crazy. Um, and, you know, over two years of doing this segment, I have never scripted or wrote out anything that I've wanted to say on this segment. And frankly, I, I, I don't feel like I need to today, but I assume, Luke, that the first question uh, question will be about Liv, right? Oh, yeah. So to make sure that I contain my emotions, stick with facts, and make Trent and your life easier, I'm going to write it out today. So here we go. The professional golf scene around the world has had a lot go on in the last week, and a whole lot will happen between now and, say, Christmas. I'll get back to why Christmas matters momentarily. Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson headlined the Live Golf Series, a series of eight events bankrolled by the Saudi government, a government accused by almost every Western nation of various human rights abuses. It begins tomorrow morning at 9.15 a.m. Eastern Time, a series of events so toxic they couldn't get a TV rights deal in any country and will use Facebook, YouTube, and their own website to air the event. Events so toxic where they are paying former NBC Sports Premier League soccer play-by-play man Arlo White millions per the New York Post to be their, to be their lead anchor. This is sports washing at its purest, using sports to hide a nation that, that, that doesn't want known what's happening behind the scenes. Thus, the change of the name to Live Golf. DJ leads that group of players that includes Kevin Na, Brandon Grace, Charles Schwartzel, and others who have resigned their membership from the PGA Tour. What are they hoping to do, folks? They are hoping to avoid punishment by the PGA Tour by being not a member of it. How can you suspend or find somebody who's not a member of something? Phil and Taylor Gooch have not resigned. It is unknown what punishments will be there. Fine, suspension, banishment, expulsion for life. We should have a better idea on some of this by 9.15 a.m. tomorrow. One thing we do know is that all live golf players will be allowed to compete in the U.S. Open next week. That's right. There's a major next week. The thinking of USGA CEO Mike Wan is that the criteria for entering these 48-person, three-day shotgun start, uh, uh, three-day shotgun start events, the crown jewel of Greg Norman's career, is that the criteria was, for qualifying for the U.S. Open was set in February. They qualified, knowing it. Why change it now, a week before the event? That's unfair. That's the USGA's view. And it's quite possible that that the Open Championship will take the same tactic. Which brings us back to the Masters and Augusta National Tournament Chairman Fred Ridley. The Masters is an invitational. You get an invite in the mail around Christmas. You're asked to RSVP. Suddenly Christmas and who gets those will be very, very interesting. Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed will join Live Golf for their next event next month in Portland, Oregon. This is a direct violation of PGA Tour rules. 
Wrightson will not resign. He told uh, his agent told Golf Channel this morning that he sat down and spoke with Jay Monahan about his decision on Monday. What they decide to do and what the PGA Tour decides to do will be of very much interest to those who are lurking. We all condemn the actions of the Saudi Arabian government. We all condemn sports washing. But how does Taylor Gooch not know what it is? That came up at a presser this week. Come on now. This isn't just about growing the game and talking points in a 30-page laughable manual that these players were given, including stupid team names and silly team logos. This is about getting paid, blood money, $200 million for Phil Mickelson, $150 million for Dustin Johnson. If you believe Greg Norman, he told the Washington Post that Tiger turned down high nine figures. I will end this with Dustin Johnson. He backed out of the RBC Canadian Open, this week's PGA Tour event, to join the Live Series and play in this event. He used to be sponsored by RBC. They dropped him as a Team RBC member last week. Good for them. And shame on DJ. Not only joining this controversial, or not, not only for joining this controversial organization, but also for backstabbing a sponsor like that. You literally were paid money to wear their logo on your left shirt lapel. Now you're not. Shame on you for going against that. Yeah, well said. As we talk with Jeremy Schilling about uh, the, the Live Golf Tour taking over the golf world here, at least uh, the headlines. Talk off with Jeremy every Wednesday on Twitter at Jay Show writes for PGA Magazine. Uh, how concerned should um, like the PGA Tour, the USGA, these major events? How concerned should that side of, of everything be with um, with these golfers uh, joining the, the Live Golf Tour and, and whatever may uh, come down the road? The PGA Tour is the one that has to be extremely uh, concerned at the, at the moment because they apparently Jay Monahan, uh, Commissioner Monahan, drew a line in the sand last week in a meeting with agents. Um, in Ohio, where he said, you basically got to choose one, one or the other. Well, if you find Dustin Johnson, who, for those who don't know, is now married to Paulina Gretzky, yes, that is the same Gretzky as Wayne. He's set for life financially, right? So he didn't need this, you know, $150 million. If you find him 50000 what is that? Uh, that's a rounding error by the accountant, right? Like, that, that doesn't do anything. If you suspend, now it's a different story. If you banish or expose, that's a different story. And I think that's where the PGA Tour has to be concerned, just that if the Saudis, to be believed, have $4 billion in a chest that they are set to start throwing around, that is concerning and something that will have to be looked at um, long-term as, as how the the, the best way to play that is the USGA in my mind has a temporary optics issue just in terms of the fact that this is a week later. I think this will get resolved by 2023. And I think the masters is the one that could really make a statement here. Um, and especially as you've seen drive chip and putt and the, and the um, introduction of the Augusta national women's amateur, come into play you have two events 
that are prideful for their involvement of females. And if anybody does any research about the Saudi Arabian government female uh, uh, treatment of women, it's not glowing. So that's where I think the problems for places like Augusta, places like the parent company for who I work for, the PGA of America, full uh, uh, full, full disclosure, or it's not it's, it's not even the parent company. It's it, it, it's a licensee. The bottom line here is that I think the two opens are going to stay open, and then it goes to what Fred Ridley does. Do you think that um, something will be done or should be done when it comes to these majors? As you said, we may have to wait on the Masters to see what they do. Should there be a punishment for the majors for these guys, or should they be allowed to double-dip like this play with the Live Golf Tour and also in the, the, the major events? I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because this is something Kevin Na has been trying to say. Kevin Na would like to play both tours. He has been a proponent of you play your 15 TJ Tour events to satisfy your membership. You can then play wherever the heck you want. He's the parent of either three or four. I, I, I forgot, meant to look this up yesterday. And you've got somebody who clearly would like a set schedule plus the majors. Um, I personally am not in favor of a tour and accepting a break. I'm not in favor of members that abide by member rules that, that they claim they have legal standing on to just run away to another tour. If you resign, this is uncharted territory. Nobody resigns their membership. People lose their membership for not playing 15 events or they don't, you know, somehow, you know, uh, 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 they break some other rule that's never made public. We've never seen a situation like this where people have just resigned to avoid legal troubles, right? So should you be able to double dip, I guess the point then would be, does live become your home? And then the question there becomes, is this sustainable, and does anybody actually give a bleep about the Live Golf Series? That's the other part of this, and, that, and, and that's why I spent so much time in that statement talking about the rights deals. The fact that they can't get a rights deal in any country that loves golf is very eye-opening. Nobody likes where this money comes from. The Phil Mickelson comments and it helped. The Greg Norman comments didn't help about I won't even go there. It, it this is so toxic that you won't even have a TV network or streamer or anybody um, touch it. And this is being streamed on Facebook and YouTube for no money and no rights fee. It just is, is stunning, really. And what, 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 what's sad about it is that it's taking away from Minji Lee's historic victory at, at the U.S. Women's Open, breaking every record that had been sent there. It takes away from uh, Billy Horschel's 52-foot, 10-inch eagle putt on 15 that clinched him uh, Jack's event and, and led to his three kids fulfilling a dream that those kids have had for years to run into their daddy's arms. Seven-time tour winner, winner of the FedEx Cup, and you get to run into your dad's arms. And now the RBC Canadian Open, um, which is – an event that has a great field, nine of the top 25. Rory's the defending champion. Hasn't been played since 2019. Scotty's there. Uh, JT's there. I really like the Heat to Gala this week, by the way. That's my pick. 
partially because there's a lot of we don't know what the case is in a lot of survivor leagues right now with who's who, who's who's available, who's not available, all that stuff. But I'm telling you, dude, I'm, I'm telling you, Luke, we've not heard the end of this, and we've not heard the end of players leaving the PGA Tour for it. The question then becomes, if Liv goes under, are you allowed back? You have to sit out a year, which the regulations would appear to say that you have to sit out a year if you resign or don't keep your membership in the PGA Tour. So if you choose, for example, the European Tour instead, we are in uncharted territory in terms of the PGA Tour rules book being used for these purposes. And Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson are making a statement for what they believe the future of golf is. 48-person event, shotgun starts, three days. Less wear and tear on your body. That's all well and good. Just pick an organization that doesn't have the background as the Saudis. Yeah, and be honest about why you're doing it, too. That'd be a good start, yes. too. Yeah. And nobody is being honest in these pressures. Nobody. Richard Bland is 49 years old. He has been the only golfer that has basically said, this sets me up for the rest of my retirement. I would love more Richard Blands to come out there. Yeah, right. And God knows what this means for the amateurs. There is a lot of uncharted water. I hated that I spent this entire damn segment talking about this. But yeah. that's the truth. Yeah, it's the big story going on. And not only Tiger golf, but in all sports. from the U.S. Open yesterday. Did anybody notice? No, not as many. Not as many as they would under normal circumstances. Unfortunately, that takes the backseat to the Live Golf Tour. We'll continue to break it down with Jeremy uh, each and every week to see what happens next. Unfortunately, we did use up the segment talking about the Live Golf Tour, though Jeremy did get the pick in there, and we're out of time. So we have to uh, wrap up our one next. Appreciate the time from Jeremy breaking down the Live Golf Tour and whatever may come next. We'll circle back to that a little bit later on, too, because there's a great piece of audio from Phil Mickelson that we have to play. But we'll wrap up our one next. It's more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Appreciate the time. Last segment from Jeremy Schilling breaking down the latest the Live Golf Tour and the PGA Tour. And I think a real concern for the golf world, as you know it, the PGA Tour, the USGA, the majors as well. Uh, I think the Live Golf Tour could really put a dent into those things. We'll circle back to that coming up later on this afternoon because there was a great piece of audio from Phil Mickelson's press conference yesterday. And uh, Phil, and maybe you, th- you say rightfully so, right? It's been put through the ringer the last 24 hours too for... Uh, he has reappeared after a few months, and his look he's got going on has been mocked in all corners of the Internet. We'll circle back to that later on, because I think, actually, I think the golf world can look to college football to see what its future may hold, and we'll get to that later on this afternoon. If you ever miss anything from the show, such as that breakdown from Jeremy Schilling, just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast, and find the show on demand. When we come back, we'll try to link up with Abby Lampy, who is somewhere in the world. She won that cheese race over the weekend in England. You may have saw the video, and I look forward to breaking it down with her hopefully next. Hour two.
next. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Back, 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 back again. Sadie's back, back, back. Tell a friend, friend, friend. Guess who's back, guess who's back. Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. We were talking golf last hour with Jeremy Schilling, as we do every Wednesday. We'll get back to the Live Golf Tour coming up, but it allows me to remind you of our 2022 Summer Golf Tour. Every Monday morning at 8 a.m., more foursomes are released to a different golf course each and every week. And coming up Monday at 8 a.m., it'll be the links at Stono Ferry. You can get yourself a foursome for just 98.9. All you have to do is head over to charlestonsportsradio.com Monday morning starting at 8 a.m. to get your foursome. And get them while you can before they sell out because they go real quick. Monday morning, 8 a.m. Set your alarm, mark the calendar, be ready to go. CharlestonSportsRadio.com. We've been mentioning it throughout the week. You've probably heard it talked about in other places. You maybe have even seen the video by now. If you haven't, go look it up. But this past weekend, we had the uh, Cooper Hill cheese rolling event in England where a bunch of people go darting down a steep hill after a, a wheel of cheese. And the winner was a recent North Carolina State grad from North Carolina. Abby Lampy was the winner. Uh, go watch the video. It's, uh, it's enthralling. It's wild. It's crazy. She was the winner. She got to the cheese. And we're going to try to link up with Abby now as she uh, continues her world travels. Let's see if we have her. Abby, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are y'all? Doing well. Appreciate the time. Uh, we, we saw the video. We loved it. We've been talking about it these last couple days. Let me first ask you, uh, I guess, just why? Why is this something that you wanted to do, go down this hill, potentially risk injury, all for uh, a wheel of cheese? I really wanted to do this because um, I've seen it for years now. I, I feel like you can't even miss this event whenever it happens. You see all these videos of, and clips of people falling down. So um, I've seen it for a while this was the first year that it's actually aligned for me to go over to England and participate. So I was just ecstatic to be able to, um, and I love sporting events. Um, I am a huge sporter. Uh, I'm a huge competitor. I've played three sports growing up um, and I love being active and just doing things adventurous. Um, and so people say it's on brand for me to be competing in this event and let alone win, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's, it is wild. It's crazy, especially after you watched the video and saw, you know, the tumble you, you took to think that, wow, that's still the girl that actually won the whole thing. Um, <laughs> how, how do you uh, – you played sports growing up, right, and you practice. You could train for those. How do you practice for something like this? I think uh, what really came down to it was 
watching the first and second race on Sunday. So uh, there were three downhill races that um, happened for the men on Sunday for the Cooper's Hill. Um, I watched the first two and then the women's had another one and then the men had the one to finish it all up. So to analyze that, I recorded it and then played it back right before my, um, my race on Sunday. And um, I looked at it, I had watched hours of film leading up to this event, like the week prior and a few days, uh, like a few weeks before then. Um, and I had practiced a little bit about uh, rolling down hills in Dorothea Dix. They have very, very, very small hills, which is a park next to NC State. Um, they have like not very steep hills at all. So I was not very prepared. Um, but on Friday, I actually went to Gloucester. Um, got there a little early to scope out the hill and I did a test run there. So I think that was where I got my experience from. Um, but yeah, nothing really pre prepares you for this event. You have to, I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So I love it though. You're watching film, you're scouting the area, you're the Bill Belichick of, of cheese races. Um, as you said, right, nothing can prepare you. Was it everything as you went through it and now that you look back on it? Was it everything that, that you expected it was going to be? Or was it even, uh, you know, a crazy experience for you knowing that, that this was something you wanted to do and you were looking forward to? I definitely did not think that I was going to be rolling the entire time. I thought I was going to get up a little bit and then stumble down, but be able to run a few more um, stances. But when I took my first few steps, I was sprinting. I've just ate it. I just kept rolling and rolling and my face was getting smushed by the dirt and the the mud that happened to be on the hill because it had been raining for three days straight almost. Um, it was just an unbelievable and crazy event. And I, I was not expecting it. Um, I really, on Friday when I did my test run, I only walked down it basically. So I had no idea what to expect. Um, but I guess me rolling down that hill it was what i expected as well as what i didn't expect <laughs> yeah talking about abby lampy who won the uh, the cheese race this past weekend in england go watch the video if you haven't seen it already it's perfect for those those internet memes where um you know it's like out of a movie where you say you, you may be asking how how i got in this uh, position or how i got <laughs> here when you see yourself rolling down was it pain you, you just described it as you were uh, rolling down your face is smacking up against the the mud and the hill as you're rolling down was it painful as it was happening? Are you are you sore, banged up, injured afterwards? How did you how did you walk away from this whole thing? I'm a little bruised. Um, I'm recovering from some soreness as well. Um, and I thought I might have like a concussion yesterday because my head started hurting. But I think I was just dehydrated and I was running on two hours of sleep because mm. I just got in from um, England yesterday and I'm in, now in Barcelona, Spain. So um, it's been a crazy ride. Um, when I was tumbling I it, it was a little painful um yeah I, I was flipping over and over again but <laughs> my thoughts when I was going flipping um I was just thinking you know it's only going to last a few more seconds um I can endure whatever it takes to win and I'm so glad I did the hard work and the injuries really did pay off and, and what's the what's the is it just the cheese that you're going after? I know I know obviously you've got a bunch of notoriety. That's the cheese, it's an eight block, <laughs> eight pound block of cheese. Um, yeah, it's bragging rights and eight pounds of cheese. So I mean, 
if if you're if you're older and you don't have much to lose, I say go for it. But if you are older and you got some stuff to lose, I maybe wouldn't participate in unless you want to fully send it. Yeah, I guess so. You make Wallace and Gromit uh, proud with all that cheese. Um, uh, speaking of uh, the bragging rights and notoriety, who after all this, who's like the craziest person? Have you heard from some sort of even celebrity or obviously NC State, I'm sure, has reached out? Who's like the craziest person that after seeing this, they reached out and congratulated you on what happened over the weekend? Wow. Um, wow. So, so many people have reached out, which has been so amazing. Roy Cooper, the governor of North Carolina, shouted me out on Twitter and on Facebook, which was kind of amazing to see. Um, NC State has been in contact with me multiple times. We're lining something up coming soon. Um, and it's just, I had no idea that it was going to be reaching this many people, let alone all these platforms. Um, so an Australian talk show, they reached out to me today and uh, there's going to be a video for them to play on. I think it might be national television there. So it's just cross-continental um it's been amazing i think just women's sports also posted me on instagram so a lot of these people are like reposting or posting on instagram because i guess instagram is now the way to go when you're um forget newspapers it's all about instagram um and they posted me and megan kalenberg i think that's how you pronounce her name she's a u.s women's national soccer player she liked the post which means she saw it and i'm a huge women's national soccer uh team um i guess follower um i've loved them i played soccer growing up so it was an honor to see that she even saw the post um but it's been amazing yeah i can imagine it's made uh global news uh, as you said a couple last things before we let you go um now that you've won would you do it again would you defend the title and go down there again yeah, I might. Um, it depends on whether my job will give me a few days off <laughs> next year when I start. Um, but I mean, I've been telling people I've I'm only this young once, so I'm only getting older, and it's gonna hurt more and more every year that I wait. So if I wanted to do it, I should probably do it sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. And I also thought, as you mentioned, you mentioned your travels. You're now in Spain. I thought it was a bit of a bold move to do this. I know you have uh, your trip going on like all summer. You're going all over the place. I what? know. My parents My parents reminded me. My dad made that very clear. He said, Abby, if you break your collarbone, you're coming back to the U.S. You're not going to be able to. I have some trips lined up. I have, I'm going to Greece in July. I'm going to Sweden and France and Portugal and um, back to the UK for some concerts. So he said, your trip is going to get cut short if you do get injured like this. And let alone um, a few years ago, Flo Early, who is a four-time cheese champion um, from this, she's the one who's won it the most out of anyone. She broke her collarbone a few Mm. years ago doing this. So going in, I I was not that scared. Um, I don't think I was scared at all when I, I was just ready for the uh, race to take place. But yeah, they reminded me a lot that if I were to get injured, it would cost me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I'm glad. Obviously, you came out okay. You came out victorious with the big block of cheese. Uh, how do you? How, what do you do with that cheese now? How are you celebrating the big win? I am. I shipped it actually on Monday morning back to uh, North Carolina from England. I am planning something with my friends and family, probably an unveiling of the cheese. We might want to get NC State involved, and I really want to just uh, celebrate with North Carolina and NC State alum and students, anyone really 
who supports NC State and like North Carolina, it's just it's eight pounds. So my friends and family cannot eat eight pounds of cheese. That's an enormous amount. So uh, yeah, I just want to share this experience with anyone who really wants to be a part of it. Yeah, I love it. And, and hopefully this gets, this is the first. I know a lot of NC State fans are pointing to this as like a curse breaker that now that you won so. this, yeah, NC State now, they're going to start winning and we'll all look back at you as, uh, as the one that started <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah, I hope that is true because being an NC State fan is very difficult. We, we cannot catch a break. No. So hopefully this gets them going after uh, you made it down there to get the cheese this past weekend for the big win. She's Abby Lampy. Go watch the video if you haven't already. It is crazy. It is wild. And she was the big winner uh, getting to that eight-pound block of uh, wheel of cheese in England as she continues her travels this summer. Abby, appreciate you taking some time out because I know you're busy and you got a lot of better things going on than talking to us about this. But I appreciate you <laughs> taking time out. Glad you made it out without any sort of serious injury. And congratulations on winning the cheese this past weekend. Thank you so much. Hey, pleasure's all ours. Appreciate the time. Abby Lampy, who won that event this past weekend. Again, if you haven't seen the video, go watch it. It's crazy. And when you're watching it, um, you know, I saw the headlines first that she won and she's from NC State and she's originally from North Carolina. And then I saw the video afterwards and somebody had to point out that that was her. And I thought that's the person that ended up winning. She's just tumbling down the hill. I don't see the joy in it, but uh, good for her. It's something she wanted to do. She won, and now you get the, the national publicity. You're going on Australian TV, the Moro Midday Show, of course, and you get an eight-pound block of cheese to take home with you as the victory. Trent, is this something you would ever be willing to do? No, you know, Abby has a lot more courage than myself yeah, because there is no way that you could pay me enough money to tumble down a hill at probably, what, speeds of 30 to 45 miles an hour, just absolutely going with no control over yourself. No, Luke, I'm good to go. But that's why she's a champion. She's an absolute champion and deserves that wheel of cheese. Yeah, certainly. Now, what I love is the added uh, curb, I guess, the added hurdle that it rained for three days straight. So not only is it like a steep hill that people you just can't run down, everybody falls down, then you add in the fact that it rains, so now it's all muddy too. So right. good luck trying to keep your footing. And it's wild that these people just line up. Now, you saw like a documentary? <laughs> yeah, so they did a, a full, I believe it's a 35-minute documentary. It's a series on Netflix about certain sports in different countries that are a little bit, you know, weird or yeah. we would think weird like there's a gladiator sport in uh, italy that still goes on a lot of things go on around the world that we don't know like this cheese race yeah and that was the first episode it is one very historical for this town and mm -hmm. for the community as, as a whole but two it's just a really cool thing that they do where you can get seriously hurt and people do every single year yeah it's wild so people just line up and you go down the hill but, like, as soon as you take a few steps, right, don't they all tumble? Like, yeah, you people just start let, falling. Yeah, you don't actually make it down. You know, and there was one guy that, that was on the documentary who was kind of the, uh, the superstar of uh -huh. the cheese race, if you will. And he kind of had a system. He would take about 10 to 15 steps and still be on his feet, which was incredibly, incredibly surprising. But now, like, there's a lot of people who would take two steps, and their goal is just they wrap up and they start tumbling and hope they finish in first. It's wild. And I love that she uh, filmed the other races and was watching film. <laughs> watching film. And I love that she scouted out the area. She went there Friday. She walked down, didn't try to run, but she scouted the area. She was watching film. I love it. Uh, that's, how, that's how you win one of these races. And I also love that she referenced, I wish I remember the name. She just said it a few moments ago, but the woman that won four of them. That's like the big star. You win four of these things. I love the tradition around this thing. That, as Trent said, like it's a big deal over there. And I remember we talked about it on the show a while ago. I don't know if it was around the Olympics, and I was coming up with other sports that we should add to the Olympics. Maybe that's when I first came across this. But I've known about this for a little while. 
And then uh, the fact that somebody from North Carolina visiting over there won this past week, and I thought, well, that's just perfect. we got to talk about this. I love it. Should be an Olympic sport. There's no doubt about it. These athletes running down this hill, are you kidding? they just getting balls, Luke. That's it. They just wrap up and roll down a hill. What kind of toughness are we talking about here? Seriously. I would never do it. I would never think of doing it. People get injured. As she said, one of the woman that won broke her collarbone a couple years ago. No, thank you. If you watch the video, it looks like a lot of hard tumbles, including her. And she's kind of going at one point, at least, she's going, like, backwards, right, which is almost worse. At least if you're – I think it's worse. I don't know. I've never really fallen down a hill. But I would imagine if you're falling forward, at least you can, like, see what's coming. When you're going backwards, like, you're just going ankles overhead, you know, keep going back. Like, you don't know what's coming next, how much longer you have to go. You can't really see them. Your bearings around you. That's tough. All the while, she ends up winning the cheese. Eight pounds of cheese. What would you do with the cheese? I mean, you know, probably make a massive charcuterie board out of it. No doubt. It's probably fine aged cheese. So yeah. I would definitely, uh, you know, try to get a couple sharp boards out there before I uh, before the cheese went bad, if you will. I think, uh, I tell you what, you put that cheese in my household, I think my father could go through it pretty quick. <laughs> Eight pounds. You make a pasta bowl out yeah, of it. You know, I... dig out the middle and make pasta. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Come on now. He puts cheese on everything. We could use an eight-pound wheel of cheese. Oh, the way that we got to get cheese in the house. Congrats to Abby. Glad we were able to link up. That went seamless for somebody, uh, you know, traveling uh, all over the place. We were able to join up with her and uh, talk about the experience from this past weekend. Watch the video if you haven't. It's wild. It's quirky. It's fun. And it should be in the Olympics because uh, I've always said I'm not a big Olympic guy. There's not a lot of Olympic sports I would watch, but I would watch this. Just a bunch of people falling down a muddy hill after a block of cheese. And if you're unfamiliar, maybe I should have explained this right off the top, but they, they roll down the cheese right ahead of the, the people, and then they go running after the cheese, and nobody stays on their feet. And as Trent said, you just you, you get into a ball, you roll down, and whoever gets down to the cheese wins. You tumble down and hope for the best. It's kind of like skydiving. You know, you just jump out of the plane and see what happens. Like Something could go wrong. Something could go very right. And for Abby's case, she won the whole damn thing. Yeah, and that's why I would never skydive either. <laughs> I'm never rolling down a hill for a block of cheese, and I'm not skydiving either. No, thank you. And fortunately, she made it out okay. When we come back, is Cam Newton delusional? It's the More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs love. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Appreciate the time. Last segment from Abby Lampy, who just graduated about a month ago from NC State, traveling the world now this summer, and was in England this past weekend to win the cheese race in Gloucester, where they just tumble down an eight-pound wheel of cheese down a steep hill, and everybody goes tumbling after it. She was the big winner, and now has become a, a national star. Appreciate Abby joining us to break it all down last segment. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts, and you can find the show podcasted there. Hey, you can always join the conversation. Get to us on Twitter, at Morrow Middays. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page, and there you could leave a comment for the show. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. I remembered it this time. And you can always join the conversation on the phones as well. 
843-721-9500 to give us a call. Let's go to the phones because Jim is with us. Jim, what's going on? How are you? I'm okay. Just let you know there's a basketball game tonight. Yeah. I apologize. I thought it was last night. But then I wanted to let you know yesterday I get in the car by myself and I go over to Arby's and get myself a steakhouse uh, hamburger. Mm-hmm. They're out. Yes. I know. Whatever. It's because of people like you, you have so many listeners, that the one in Mount Pleasant doesn't have any. I'm very upset with you about that because I had to sell it for a gyro sandwich, which was darn good, okay? I just thought I'd let you know. But the real reason I'm calling because I went to lay down, take my nap, and listen to your show at 1230, and then that girl came on, and I was laughing so hard I fell out of the bed, and I hurt my right shoulder. But I don't see my cheese. You owe me a, a pound of cheese because because uh, I fell out of the bed like she fell down the hill. I looked at the video. So what I need you to do, I got to go for a massage. You think you can give me that same uh, type of thing that w- Watson used to go get his massage? Yeah. I don't need a happy ending, but I need something done to me, you know? Yeah, well, I think he was using Instagram. So I guess you could find uh, plenty of uh, massage therapists there that they could help you out. Oh, gee, thanks a lot. But I enjoyed that. That is better than the uh, bank robbery guy. And, and uh, I- I'll tell you, the, oh, the, uh, I don't know. And the, uh, <laughs> you're good. You are good, buddy. You, you are the best. And uh, your assistant there, he's okay. He just doesn't answer the phone all the time. Okay? I appreciate you, Jim. Yeah, I'll try better to answer your call at your immediate notice and immediate needs. We got to get like a bat phone, <laughs> right? The direct line that went. Well, you know, I got phone. a suggestion. Yeah. Since he lives so close to downtown, why don't we start a GoFundMe and put him up on one of those uh, billboard signs on, on the highway for 24 hours, and we'll fund it through a GoFundMe account. I'll donate some money towards it and let him do his uh, producer show from up there. What do you think of that idea? Put him on the billboard? Like that, for, huh? Put him, actually, him himself on a billboard for 24 hours? No, no, physically on the billboard. They have shelves there. Yeah. And we'll get we'll get a bucket <laughs> truck to put him up there on the billboard. That's pretty good for... If he doesn't uh, want to... Yeah, that's, pre- me. that's pretty good for some sort of... I'll keep that in mind for some sort of uh, show bet. When we have something Ooh. big on the line, we'll have to yeah. come up with that. So um, Yeah, that's right, because because he still hasn't gotten a pie in the face. We go out of our way to get millionaire's pie after was the topic of that. Find all the ingredients and everything else, and that boy still does not have a pie in his face. I want to be there when it happens, by the way. All right, we'll, okay? we'll get you the cheese for your, your hurt shoulder, and you can get the pie for Trent's face. That's an old classic radio bit is the, uh, the billboard. They used to do competitions uh, like for Super Bowl tickets, right, where people would have to be up on the billboard, and uh, they've, talked, they've used this in TV shows too. And, like, uh, the last person left up there would be the winner of uh, the contest. So I don't know how easy it would be to pull something off like that, but that's not a bad idea. Or even, like, you want to talk about, like, a fantasy football punishment? People always put uh, the, the losers in the Waffle House for 24 hours. Put them up on a billboard, literally, up there on the, the catwalk up there for 24 hours and see how that goes. I wouldn't mind that by any stretch of the imagination. I also think if we wanted to get into the billboard game, I mean, Bougie Boys Radio from 12 <laughs> to 3, I think would do numbers Not on bad. billboard on 526. That's so, true. Jim, if you want to start to go fund me for that, just let me know, pal. We'll pump it. Yeah, a couple of good-looking men here put up on that billboard. Come on now. Cause a lot of accidents on the highway, let me tell you. 
Uh, I think it was Boy Meets World that did that. They were trying to get uh, Super Bowl tickets. Was that in Boy Meets World? And it was cold. Right? It was in Philadelphia. And uh, there was uh, an Eskimo eating ice cream instead while they were all freezing, and he was the one that won. I think that was Boy Meets World. Great show from the 90s. I'll keep that in mind moving forward. Um, we'll get to the Cam Newton stuff. Uh, actually, we'll do it now. It'll only take a moment. Cam Newton went on a, a podcast. He was talking about he was making his case for Cam still being a, a top 32 quarterback in the league. And it was a former NFL player, Channing Crowder, who I give credit to for pushing back on him, you know, in person. We've seen Cam go on other podcasts or just whenever athletes go on podcasts and uh, you may not get that pushback. Crowder played in the NFL. He, he hosts down Miami. Push back a little bit on Cam. This is a bit of a long clip, but here was Cam Newton talking about he was making the case for why he should still be a starting quarterback in the league. There's not 32 guys better than me. Still, you still feel the exact same. Cam. Oh, my soul. Cam. Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Oh, I, oh, I couldn't wait. You knew it was coming. Ooh, I couldn't wait. Ooh, I couldn't wait. You knew it was coming. So ask your question and let's debate. Because at the end of the day, comparing apples to apples, oranges to oranges, certain situations for certain situations, and if you think that I couldn't be on somebody's team right now, you a damn fool. As as a starter, as a starter, as a franchise, as a Super Bowl contender, bro, Cam, I, you are big as fuck. Mm-hmm. Like, to be a quarterback, bro, mm-hmm. you are a defensive end playing quarterback. Bro, I love you. I, I I draft you to my teams on Madden. Right. And I trade for you. Right. We ain't talking but about right that. right now, bro, about, you are 33 years old. Yes, sir. You done got old. Ex- yeah. You're one of the best 32 quarterbacks in the world right now. Cam, I, can't, I cannot accept that. I can't accept it. That I'm not I saw what you did in New England. Mm-hmm. When you went back to Carolina, I saw what happened. Like, like the proof's in the pudding. The New England experience was a f***ed up situation. I was still learning the offense seven to eight weeks into the season. No. That was... In what regards was it messed up? Okay, the, the, I'm learning systems mentally, right? As a quarterback, it's not just can you catch. It's not just can you... You, you, you can disguise that. We all been around teams where it's like, ready, break. Hey, what, what I got? Right. As a quarterback, you have to look the part, act the part, and be the part, mm-hmm. right? So there was countless hours with Jed Fish. There was countless hours with uh, Josh McDaniels. There was countless hours with so many different people trying to teach me certain things, and it, it was just brain overload. So it was times I'm going to the line, and I'm still thinking. I'm thinking about the enunciation of the play. I'm thinking about forgetting my motions. I'm thinking about my sight adjust. I'm thinking about certain things. So that's the f***ed up situation. Did I know it? Yes. To the degree that I needed to know it to, in order to show the world that I'm still Cam Newton? No, right. I did. But I put myself in that situation. That was Cam Newton uh, yesterday. Now, I think in regards to the last part he said of that, that clip about, you know, not knowing, it being a, a new system in New England, not knowing everything perfectly, I'd say that's the case anywhere. That, that's going to be the same case if you join any team this year. You played in Carolina with the same head coach your whole career. Then you had to go to New England. You came back to Carolina last year. It's a different system, different coaches. That's what happens. It's like learning a, a whole other language. And, um, you know, certainly for a guy later on in their career, that's what makes like uh, what Tom Brady did uh, so impressive. And they got off to a bit of a slow start. But there's always a, a, that learning curve with a new team, especially for a quarterback, because there's so much 
that they have to relearn in that new team. And so for Cam, using that as like some sort of defense, well, I would also say that's going to be the case wherever he goes. But clearly, Cam Newton has not been the same guy in the last couple of years. Now, if you want to tell me he could be a starting quarterback in the league, I would push back on that. But maybe on some sort of team desperate for a quarterback. But the question, the follow-up in that clip was, you know, like on a, a Super Bowl contender, a franchise quarterback. And the answer to that question would be certainly not. Like, if you put him on the Buffalo Bills or the Bills winning the AFC, I do not think so. I think that's a huge drop-off. There's a reason why the Patriots don't have him around. The Patriots got rid of him for a rookie in Mac Jones, and they went to the playoffs. They had a better record with the rookie Mac Jones. But if you want to sell me on the idea of, like, say, the Seahawks, take a flyer on Cam Newton, all right. Might as well. I mean, I don't think Cam Newton's good enough to be a starting quarterback for 17 games. But Seattle's also looking at Drew Locke and Geno Smith, and they also probably want to be bad this year. So you might as well take a flyer on Cam Newton if you want. That's probably the only one. Only one. Carolina, I would say if there wasn't history, maybe. But I, I think I'd rather have Sam Darnold. I think we saw that last year. Sam Darnold is better when available than Cam Newton. And otherwise, the only other team I would think of as a potential option would be like the Houston Texans. But at this point, if I'm the Texans, I'd just rather see what Davis Mills has. And I have no problem being bad right now. So let me see if Davis Mills could be my guy of the future where Cam Newton doesn't have that future. He's a banged-up quarterback in his 30s that's not as mobile as he once was. There's no future there. The only reason you bring him in was to try to help you win now, and I don't think he has that capability. The only options I would see for a Cam Newton would be teams that are really desperate, Carolina, Seattle, Houston, but I don't think he's an upgrade. The only one realistically would maybe be Seattle, but I would also make the case that for the Seahawks, you might as well see if Drew Locke could be a guy for you. And if not, you'll go draft a quarterback next year. But Locke is still young enough. I don't think he's a long-term answer either. But you might as well see. We already know what Cam Newton is. And the Seahawks, realistically, are not going to go win a Super Bowl now, so why bring in that veteran? Is he technically, you know, like a top 32 talented court? Is he number 32 on the list? Maybe. We could argue who's, like, who's better, Cam Newton or Drew Locke. But at this point in his career, he's not the same Cam Newton as he once was. And uh, I don't think he brings much value to a franchise. Plus, he's also a big brand. I mean, he's doing a lot of these interviews. In that clip, he's got, you know, like the cigar, the glasses on likes to hear himself talk, um, and you bring that into your locker room as well. Like Carolina last year, when he was on the field for the first time, led to a touchdown, was a great play, but then he's yelling like, I'm back. It's more about Cam and his brand than uh, the team that, in the case of like Seattle, what you're trying to build, that culture you're trying to build, the young team restarting. I just don't see any sort of landing spot, and I don't think it's realistic, and uh, that's why I'm glad Shannon Crowder you know, kind of pushed back on the idea that – Hold up, right? No, you're no longer that same guy from four years ago that could be that franchise quarterback, unfortunately, because when he was healthy and uh, playing at a high level, he was one of the more fun quarterbacks to watch in the league. When you play that way, it leads to a shorter shelf life, and he's just not the same quarterback. We've seen that last couple of years. He was pretty bad in New England. He was not a real option in Carolina last year. He's been on the shelf for a while here. Teams aren't signing him. It can go quick for these guys. It went quick for Marino, for Peyton Manning, just a little bit later on in their careers because they didn't take the same number of hits. But a lot of times for these quarterbacks, we see, like going after that cheese where it's a steep hill and you fall quick. Right? Peyton Manning uh, is playing well, and then the very next year, it looks like he's clearly over the hill, pun intended, right? past his prime and uh, needed to retire. The same with Marino. That last year was a lousy, and it happened quick. Played pretty well his second to last year. By the time he gets to Marino's final season, it's like, whoa, what happened? Brett Favre, same thing. Played great in 2009, came back in 2010. It's like, whoa, who's this guy? He doesn't belong in the league. It happens quick, and I think it happened to Cam Newton, where you cross that line, 
and uh, no longer does he have a, a starting spot left for him in the league. We'll get to Trent's takes when we come back. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We were talking last segment about Cam Newton. Somebody asked if the Detroit Lions could be a fit. I don't think so. I think I'd rather have Jared Goff. And uh, I, I don't see Newton fitting in there. Go with Goff, and then you probably draft your quarterback a year from now. Now, if you're trying to lose games for that uh, quarterback draft class next year, then maybe you roll with Cam, and it makes it a little bit easier to lose some games. But I think uh, you roll with Jared Goff. Goff's been in a, a Super Bowl more recently than Cam, and uh, he will at least keep you, for the most part, on schedule. I just think at this point in his career, even he's a better quarterback than Cam Newton. I'd rather have Jared Goff. And I think Goff fits better in what uh, Dan Campbell's building, too. Hey, we do it around this time each and every day. Find out what's on the mind of the producer. It's time for Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's Panthers. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The radio cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, before we get into any sports talk, we do have to uh, mention a couple movies that are coming out that I think you might be interested in. First mm. one is the uh, sequel to the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. They have started writing that, and uh, I believe they have began filming as well. How are you feeling? I, did you end up seeing that Joker movie, with Joaquin Phoenix, by yes. chance? Okay, and how were your feelings about it when it first came out? I liked it. Uh, I've always said I thought it would be better as a standalone. Sure. If it was just about, uh, just even it could be just a, a random guy. I thought there shouldn't have been any sort of connection to the Batman universe, and I thought it would have been a better money, a better movie just on its own instead of some sort of prequel or origin story to the whole Batman storyline. Right, where the Joker came from yeah. and how he got his start. Yeah, I understand that. Now they're making a second one. We will see how it goes. And we'll also see how much weight uh, Joaquin Phoenix loses yeah. for this last one because I believe he lost over 100 pounds for the role uh, in 2019. So we'll see if this is as creepy as the first one because, Luke, I, w I went and saw it in theaters opening day. I was very oh. pumped because I I'm a big Joker guy. Really, The Dark Knight's one of my favorite movies of all time. Big Joker guy. I was impressed. I enjoyed it. It's obviously Batman was involved with the film. But it was a good movie. We'll see how the sequel goes. And also, Luke, this one hits a little closer to the Morrow Midday Show. Julia Garner, I don't know if you've heard about this, has officially been cast to portray Madonna in the uh, pop star's upcoming uh, biopic. I'm pumped up about this. Julia Garner, folks, if you don't know, plays Ruth and Luke and I's arguably our favorite show, that being Ozark. Look at what Ozark did for Julia Garner. I know she was in stuff before, but now... Being cast as Madonna, got to be one of her, it, probably the biggest role she's ever gotten, Luke. 
pumped for Julia Garner. She's an absolute legend. I love her character in Ozark. Season four gets a little interesting with Ruth. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But I love Julia Garner. She's awesome, and I can't wait to see her play a completely different role than what she was playing in uh, Ozark. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, she's a great actress, and she did a great job in Ozark. She could play Madonna, and then she could also play Justin Timberlake when they do <laughs> his movie, too. So uh, that'll be something. <laughs> Uh, she's in Inventing Anna, that new show that's pretty popular on yeah. Netflix. Yeah, I haven't yeah. watched that at all yet. I've heard mixed reviews, but she's got like a an accent. I think her character may be from Russia. It's based on a true story. She's a really talented actress. Uh, I don't know if I'll check out the Madonna movie, but I think she'll do a great job. Oh, Lou, come on. You'll tune in. Who doesn't love Madonna? Everybody loves Madonna. She's all right. Well, we might play some Madonna towards the end of the show here. Just to get you pumped up for the movie. Now, Luke, game three tonight, Warriors and Celtics. Line is sitting currently at minus three and a half, favoring the Boston Celtics. We're, you, you know, we're going trendy predictions here because we're back in it, baby. And here's what we're doing, Luke. We're not touching the number because I'm very nervous about the three and a half. This could be a blowout, no doubt. Game one in Boston, obviously. The crowd's going to be absolutely rompous. I'm not sure if Steph Curry's going to have the same game that he has had in the past two games. Arguably, if... if if the Celtics still guard him the way they've been guarding him, which is very interesting and kind of off coverage a little bit, he's going to have another 30-point night. But I will say, I got two overs for you, Luke, as far as Ooh. player props go. Clay Thompson, who has struggled this entire series the first two games, I'm thinking a ga- uh, game six Clay pops out tonight. He has a big one in Boston. Give me the over for Clay Thompson at 18 and a half. Also, another guy who's going to have a big game. I like this number because the number is low. Jordan Poole, over 12 and a half points. I like that as well. I don't see a third, probably not a 30 point night from Steph. So I do believe that the role players will step up and play well. Clay Thompson's got to get it going or the Warriors might be in some trouble, especially if they lose this game. But we've been talking about must-win games, Luke. This is a must-win for the Celtics, not a must-win for the Warriors. I do believe this is a must-win game for the Celtics. If you go down 2-1 against the Warriors, yeah, we've seen LeBron come back 3-1 before. But if you go down 2-1 against the Warriors, that's the only team in the NBA that you would feel very uncomfortable going down to in an NBA final series with how much experience that they've had throughout their entire run. I do agree with you. It's a 1-1 series, but there's not equal weight on these two teams tonight, despite it being an even series. Yeah, because if the Celtics, if they fall behind, not only are you trailing the series, you're also trailing home court. So the Warriors would have the advantage and home court. For Golden State, just like Boston the last two games, for Golden State, the objective, just win one of these two. And if you split, you just have to win at home, and you win the series, uh, you know, potentially in seven. For Boston, you got to try to win both of these two, and then you're up 3-1, and you're sitting pretty. So tonight, of course, is a huge swing game. In Boston. With that said, though, I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth because I do think the Celtics win tonight, but I mm. still think the Warriors win the series. How are you talking about the? Uh, what about the point spread? How are you feeling about the point spread? Or are you going to do that later in the show? No, I'd probably take Boston. Okay. Uh, what three and a half? You said three and a half, and it has been fluctuating down to three and then up to four as well. Yeah, I think the Celtics win, so I might as well take them at the points because, as we've seen in this playoffs, you have a pretty good chance that if the team's going to win, they're going to win by more than three <laughs> yeah, and a half. Yeah. Right? Even in this NBA Finals, we've had two games decided by double digits. So if you think a team's going to win, you might as well take them at the points because we haven't had a lot of games decided by fewer than three and a half points. So I'll take my chances. I think the Celtics win tonight, so I might as well take them to cover the three and a half. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, Luke, has Drew Brees gotten a little uh, unfair shake uh, from the uh, not only the Twitter world, but also TV networks across the nation? Now, look. Uh, we talk a lot about broadcasters on this show, yeah. and uh, it's, a, it's a very big topic, and we enjoy talking about it, Luke. 
as far as Drew Brees goes in his game calling, I will give him the benefit of the doubt here because w the one game I listened to Drew Brees, because I usually shut it off, play some music because some guys I just can't listen to, but Drew Brees did one Saints game uh, for NBC, and it was a game that he was getting honored at halftime, and it was a very awkward, the entire, uh, the entire broadcast was incredibly awkward. I thought he did great in the studio, you know, with Maria Taylor and all those folks. I think I really enjoyed that, but he is not returning to NBC, and all of the other jobs right now are filled up across all of the platforms. Is Drew Brees getting, you know, an unfair shake at this whole thing, or was he just, was this kind of Jason Witten's? situation where you know he didn't have a lot of experience we threw him out there to see if it works and it didn't work and who knows what will happen with Tom Brady I'm sure he's going to be fantastic but Drew Brees no longer with NBC and it looks like from a couple articles that have been written not a lot of people think he's going to get a chance anywhere else now I think that's a perfect comparison with uh, Jason Witten I'll say uh, I don't think Brees got an unfair shake the only thing that NBC didn't help him with was they gave him a playoff game his first year. I don't think he was ready, and it was the first playoff game. It was the Raiders-Bengals, so it was like the first impression of the NFL playoffs. You're listening to Drew Brees. I just don't think he was ready for that moment. First year as a broadcaster, he was doing some Notre Dame games, and now he's going to get an NFL playoff game, and he was the classic, like, would just state really obvious things, didn't add anything. I think he is better in the studio. Reports were he didn't want to do studio. He wants to do games. I just don't think he's good enough in the booth. I mean, maybe he will over time. But not right now to be doing playoff games in the NFL. They'd be doing Sunday night football, which is what NBC has. And that was their plan. He was supposed to replace Chris Collinsworth. And then NBC realized, like, nope, this isn't it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think him and Jason Winton's a good comparison because they're two great guys, good careers. Doesn't mean they're going to be good broadcasters. I think Philip Rivers would be a good broadcaster because he has a personality. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, who just retired, good personality, would be a good broadcaster. When did you ever listen to an interview of Drew Brees and think, like, I, I don't know, just see any sort of personality? He'd always say good things. He'd fire up his teammates. But it doesn't mean he'd be captivating in a broadcast booth. So uh, I see, I, I understand why NBC's no longer interested, and it looks like nobody's going to hire him to be a broadcaster this year. Yeah, I feel like there's a little difference between, like, the robot quarterbacks and the quarterbacks that come out and have a little bit of personality. Not saying Drew Brees is a robot, obviously, but it does seem like he needs to go recharge the batteries and figure out what's going on in his career. Now, Luke, speaking of the NFL, you know I like to go through my division odds, see who's at the top, see who's winning. It still perplexes me to this day, Luke Morrow, that the AFC North, that the Super Bowl runner-ups, the Cincinnati Bengals, have the third best odds in their division with only an improved team. They didn't get better. They didn't get worse. They just improved. And I think that's the most important part, especially with the O-line. The Cleveland Browns, who we have no idea if their starting quarterback, Deshaun Watson, will be playing for them. I hope he doesn't, personally, but after reading that New York Times article, I don't think he should play this year at all whatsoever. Jacoby Brissett. So right now, the odds makers are thinking that, one, Deshaun Watson will be playing throughout this season if they have the second-best odds, and two, even if they don't play, they still have a better chance than the Bengals do to win this division. That perplexes me. The Ravens have the best odds, and Lamar Jackson's nowhere to be found. So I just still don't understand, Luke. Maybe you can help me out a little bit more with the Bengals, but I think they should have the best odds in this, in this division by far. Theoretically, they probably earn the right but I do understand the skepticism because I wouldn't call what they did last year some sort of fluke. That's not the case. When you win those games in the playoffs and get to a Super Bowl, just get to the playoffs. Football's a long enough season where, you know, it's not some sort of uh, fluky break. But there is skepticism that maybe they overachieved. Can they do that again? And you look at that division. That division's really tough. What's interesting is you have the two Super Bowl teams from a year ago. 
are probably in the two best divisions in football. Who do you give a better chance of winning the division this year, the Bengals or the Rams? I, Luke, looking at it right now, I mean, with the NFC West, obviously you got the Cardinals, right? Uh, and then you have the uh, 49ers. Trey Lance is going to be their quarterback. So I would give – I'd probably give right now the Rams a better chance because, at one, I don't trust Arizona and Kyler Murray. I think he's a great player, but I don't trust him. And Seattle, give me a break. You know, like they're, they're going to be kind of like the Steelers are in that division where teams aren't really – too worried about them come the uh, postseason. I don't know, Luke. I, I it might just be the young hype boy me being like I absolutely love the Bengals and I yeah. love this young team. But when you look at the roster, look how good they played last year. A new system for a lot of these guys, and to add very good offensive linemen and a couple good defenders as well. I think the only question for the Bengals this upcoming season would have to be their secondary, and we saw that at the end of the uh, Super Bowl very clearly. Eli Apple just couldn't cover Cooper Cup one on one, and they didn't have any help. They have Jesse Bates, who is a very good free safety, but besides that, they don't have a marquee guy. Mike Hilton's towards the end of his career, so I think the secondary is the only concern. And in that division, I mean, are you really worried about the Ravens, you know, throwing 60-yard bombs at you? Maybe about the Browns, but right now I just don't see anybody competing with them. Yeah, I do think they got better this offseason. I think the division will be better, too, this year because, you know, the Ravens will be healthier. And if Deshaun does play, they'll be an upgrade for the Browns. I'm with you, though. I don't think he should play at all this year. We'll see what happens. And the Steelers are always just a tough matchup. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. But I'll say this about teams that lose in the Super Bowl, right? The Panthers, when they lost, didn't follow it up well. When the Falcons lost in the Super Bowl, we haven't been the same since. Uh, the Eagles, they won the Super Bowl and didn't follow it up great since then. And then even like the 49ers, when they lost um, to the Chiefs, they were back in the playoffs this past year. But the following year, after losing the Super Bowl, the Niners went 6-10. and 10. So I think there's some built-in skepticism that we see a lot of teams get to the Super It's so hard to sustain success in the NFL when it is such an unpredictable sport that I think uh, there's a lot of skeptics that a team could keep that up one year to the next. And if you have a, t- a roster like the Rams or you have a quarterback like Tom Brady, it's a little bit easier to predict or rely on. When you have the Bengals and Zach Taylor and a lot of young pieces, I think people just expect them to take a step back, just naturally take a step back this year after the success a year ago. But we'll see once we finally arrive at football season this fall. When we come back, we'll wrap up Hour 2. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up Hour 2 on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, in the changing landscape of, of college sports, you see that um, Duke hired essentially a GM, and Miami football has already done this as well. So this is a, a new little wrinkle into college sports. And when we uh, coming up at the top of the hour with Hour 3, we'll circle back to Clemson and the job they've done here over the past couple of days already this week in their recruiting as they adjust how they look at the current state of college sports. But I find this uh, as an interesting trend. Duke basketball, Miami football, bringing in essentially a GM now to overlook things and to have more control and another person that's zeroing in on that recruiting. And then with that, I'm sure name, image, and likeness as well. But somebody above the coach to help with roster management and recruiting. 
So we keep talking about, you know, college sports becoming like professional sports, the college football becoming like the NFL. Well, at least Miami, we got one now GM in college football, and I'm sure this will start to become a trend as well moving forward. Another little wrinkle to the new state of college sports. Coming up, speaking of college sports, I think with the Live Golf Tour, the golf world can turn into a lot of, like, college football. Plus, Clemson getting some wins on the recruiting trail this week, and I'll explain why. And the most improved college football teams by conference this year. We'll get to that coming up. Plenty more to do still. Hour three next. The more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up in a few moments, why I think golf will start to look a lot like college football. The PGA Tour specifically. Get to that. Plus Clemson with some wins in the recruiting world this weekend. And I think there's a reason why. And I would also say it may be long overdue. It's that coming up. Plus, which teams will be the most improved in each Power 5 conference this year? And maybe we'll even look at the teams that I think will take the biggest step back in each Power 5 conference. I was just thinking about that during the commercial break. Got plenty more to do throughout this hour. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And we're getting the podcast back up online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. And those are updating throughout the week to get back up to date after some technical issues. You can also leave a comment for the show while you're there. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page and leave a comment there. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show 843-608-1734 or give us a call 843-721-9500 to join the conversation. Somebody said, uh, who picks the songs for the show? Because they're awesome. There you go. There's a feather in the cap for Trent. Nice set list today on the Morrow Midday Show. And uh, pretty much most days. I mean, you know, I, I try to I try to mix it up. But there are a couple classics that just sound so good over the airwaves. How could oh. I not play the Almond Brothers? I mean, how could I not play a little Atlanta rhythm section? You know, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, when I first started doing the show, I put together a, a playlist because I can be a little picky with the music. I always think of the music of the show as like a tone setter, or it's almost like you know why athletes have a walk-up song. It tries to put you in the mood. So I want good music on the show as well. Most people probably don't care about the music played on their show, but I think it's important to have good music because it helps you uh, get in the mood. And so originally I did uh, a whole playlist and everything. We worked off of that. And then this is to take you behind the curtain. 
Then we had a change around here where they wanted uh, the bosses wanted the music to be played from our radio stations to promote our other stations. Now, why would we we would try to drive you to our other stations? I don't know, but I don't make those decisions. And then uh, we ditched that after a while. And then now it's just it's on the producers play whatever you want. And I'm I'm not some sort of control freak with my own playlist anymore. And uh, Trent is free to play whatever he wishes. Uh, selfishly, I do play a lot of the music that I listen to, quite honestly. Yeah. Uh, and we kind of have similar uh, similar tastes in music, so I like to play whatever the host you know kind of feels. It's also a vibe check, folks. You come in, check the vibes of the day. If we need a little happier set, we're going happy. If we need to yeah. tone it down a little bit, we tone it down. I like it, Marty Smith. Um, on his podcast this week, I find this interesting. We talk a lot about music around here and do so for a reason. He's uh, from Virginia. If you're familiar with Marty Smith, he's a big, you know, southern guy, has that accent. They were doing a ranking of the best southern rock songs of all time. And for him, he said, uh, nothing matches Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. But I listened to that conversation. I thought that was a great conversation. I never really thought about it. But the best southern rock songs, and they were talking southern rock bands. And uh, Marty Smith even put it out on Twitter and was recapping a lot of the feedback. And, of course, there's a lot of Almond Brothers and uh, Leonard Skinner were the top ones, but a lot of 38 Special in there. And then they were debating if a band was uh, a truly a Southern rock band or not. Anyways, I found that whole conversation interesting. So if you like Marty Smith, on his latest podcast that came out this week, they had a good breakdown of uh, Southern rock talking about that. They got on that uh, sidebar. My parents saw Paul McCartney last night in Boston. How about this? Paul McCartney is, um, what, I think 78 now? He played 37 songs last night. He's 79. In fact, he's about to turn 80 in 10 days. So you got an 80-year-old Paul McCartney touring. He performed last night for two hours and 40 minutes and played 37 songs. A lot of Beatles stuff. Good set list. I thought it started a little slow and then really built up. I'm a big set list guy, and uh, I thought it was a strong set list last night for McCartney at Fenway Park. But how about that? About to be 80. He's got more energy than me. I'm hoping to go play basketball tonight. It seems like it always rains on Wednesdays, and we play outdoors. Hopefully I can go play some pickup hoops. I am worn out after a couple of pickup basketball games. You got an 80-year-old Paul McCartney playing for three hours last night, 37 songs. That's what I want. That's what I want for my musicians. That's what I always say. I don't, I don't like these jam bands so much, which an Allman Brothers would fall into that category. I want to hear more than just 12 songs. Give me 37 like McCartney did last night. And the Lumineers only gave us like 14. What is this? Those are some young guys. Yeah. Luke, come on. Let's give the full set. What are we doing? They did come back and play a couple songs. We appreciated them during the concert that we saw. But yes. still, I mean, they only played, what, 12 to 14 of their of their own songs? Yeah, they did uh, like an hour 45, which is pretty standard. Yeah. But then you get Dave Matthews this past weekend who did about <laughs> 245 right. both nights. You get Paul McCartney last night doing 245. I complain that uh, all the new movies nowadays are too long, but when it comes to concerts, that's fine. I want my money's worth because I, I, you know, there's a bunch of songs that, would, especially when you have the career of Paul McCartney, you want to hear all the, if he only played 18 songs for an hour and a half, everybody would leave like, oh man, there's so many other songs I wish I could hear. So I love that McCartney, even at 80 years old, understands this, and he says, no, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to play all the hits, literally all of them. He played 37 songs last night. I don't think I've ever seen a set list so long. Did the parental unit, they, they obviously enjoyed it. They liked it, yeah. yeah. They enjoyed it. Yeah, Fenway Park. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a good show from what I hear from McCartney last night. But that's just wild to me. 80 years old. The fact that he's still touring at 80. Like, when I'm 80, I mean, I could sit here and talk sports when I'm 80, but no way am I going to travel the country uh, standing up there for three hours playing music like that. Wild. 
And the voice, I heard some videos. Voice, eh, sounds good enough. I mean, the guy's 80. What do you expect? It's good enough up there. Not as strong as it was. Not driving it home, but uh, it's solid. 37 songs. Wild. So I appreciate that from McCartney. By the way, the encore. You mentioned the Lumineers encore. Sure. This may be another unpopular take <laughs> because I would relate it to tipping. And I've talked about tipping before. Oh, Luke. Now, I'm not anti-tipping. I, got, I have to make this crystal clear. <laughs> I do tip, and I, I tip well when the tip is appropriate. But tipping has, is a practice that has become an obligation, just like an encore has become an obligation at a concert. I don't get the whole idea of an encore. Mm. Like, they go off the stage. They freshen up for a moment. They may grab a towel, wipe the sweat off. Sometimes you'll even see, like, maybe a shirt change. Or sometimes a band will come out and it'll be just the lead singer with his guitar for the start of the encore, and the band will get a little extra break. So I get, like, the idea that maybe you just need a breather. That's fine. But the idea that you hope they're going to do an encore. Nowadays, if you don't do an encore, like, you get booed. That's unpopular. <laughs> the encore becomes a requirement. And it's, it's such a silly practice that they go off to the side of the stage and they just stand there and then they wait and everybody has to cheer. The idea is you have to cheer them back. They're only going to come back out. If you want them to, right, if you will them out with your applause and your cheering. And so we all stand there like fools, like cheering, like, yeah, come back out when you know they're going to anyways. And then, like, you know, 90 seconds later, oh, look at that. They're coming. Who, who, <laughs> who could have saw an encore tonight? What a big surprise. No, it's the opposite. Now, if you go to a show and there is no encore, you're disappointed. Encores has become, they become an obligation of the concert. And I have no problem because I want as many songs as I can get. I just don't like the whole rigmarole of, all right, they're going to go off the stage for like two minutes, and then we're going to have to cheer, and then they're just going to come back out. We're all going to be, we're going to pretend to be surprised, and then they're going to play like three more songs, and then the concert's going to be over. And they'll come out and say, Charleston, you were the best crowd yeah, we've course. had all tour. It's yeah. been amazing. And then they play three songs, yeah. and then it's, you know, the greatest night of your life, apparently. Of course. But you equated that to tipping because, like, sometimes it's an unnecessary uh, action that you have to do, and now it feels like an obligation. Not completely. <laughs> the second part, yes, tipping has become like if you don't tip, and again, I tip. I tip <laughs> when a tip is necessary. Do not uh, take me wrong here. I'm gonna get a lot of texts, Luke. I know. know. <laughs> Last time this ca this caused a lot of drama uh, when I brought this up before. Um, no, I tip when necessary, but. Like, if you were, to, hypothetically speaking, if somebody doesn't tip, they're perceived as being a real jerk. Where I've always thought the tip was extra. It's not a requirement when you go out to eat. Um, it's become that because that's how we are as a society. But the origin story of the tip was to give a little extra for good service. It's like the origin story of the uh, phrases that we use so Yeah, that's often. right. Yeah, things change over time. So now if you don't tip, like, you're a real jerk. And uh, I always tip. I don't think I've ever gone anywhere to get sit-down service and not tip. As I said before, like I'll do my minimum is probably fifteen percent. Like if it's really bad service and I think like, wow, this is lousy. I'm not coming back to this place. I'll still give you a tip, just not as much as I normally would. But it's just the idea that the tips are the requirement. And uh, they actually, curb your enthusiasm touched on it a little bit, um, where they had automatic tips built into the check at the golf club, and then Larry David did not tip on top of that. And the server came over to him and said, oh, I noticed there was no tip. Is there a problem with my service? And Larry <laughs> said, no, I just, there's an automatic tip party. I already tipped you, uh, which is somewhat similar. But the idea of, right, if you don't tip, like, uh, you know, you're, you're the jerk. If you don't go out to a, for an encore, you're now seen as the jerk where originally the encore was like an extra, hey, we're going to bless you with a few extra songs. You tip the barber, right, pretty handsomely? I do tip the barber, yes. Okay. Yep, I tip a barber. Yep, I usually, That's important. I do it just like um, – 
like food delivery, same idea where I'll, I don't have a set amount typically. It, it depends. Around here, there's a lot of expensive haircuts, so then maybe I'll just do a percentage. <laughs> but usually I'll just like round it up, you know, like whatever. If it's uh, just pick a number. If it's 23 bucks, maybe I'll give them 30, right? Something like that. I'll just round it up to the next right. full number. That's a legitimate tip. If it's 24, I'm not going to say, like, all right, you got 25, but I'll tip you $1. <laughs> I'll, I'll tip you six, but I usually round it up. But yeah, I tip the barber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always do. I'm always, like we mentioned before, when we had this tipping debacle a couple weeks back, I always tip way too much because I don't want to leave that restaurant and they're like, oh, if this guy ever comes back, we know he's a bad guy. Like, I, I don't want that feeling. And also, working in restaurants majority of my of life, course. it's like I've had a lot of people with a couple hundred dollar, you, you know, tab. And at the, re- uh, the resort I worked at, there was a little gratuity that was added to the mm-hmm. big tabs, but uh, that wasn't really uh, advertised, if you will, on the check. And so people would just do a zero and a uh, line through it. I'm like, this is a $450 tab. Y'all have been out here all day. I don't get anything for it. So I usually try to over-tip as much as possible. Yeah, I get that as people that work in the industry. If you have somebody working hard like that, big party, big tab, a long sit-down process, and you got somebody working hard and they do a good job, then absolutely you got to tip them well uh, if you're making somebody uh, you know work harder for you. What about um, you know at the bar? Do you tip um, – See, drinks are interesting because I think you tip. My rule has always been I tip by uh, by the drink, mm. not by the order. So, like, say you get a round for people. Yeah. Do you tip based off of that's just one order, or do you say, oh, I got five drinks here. Let me give essentially like five separate tips, if you get what I'm saying. I probably go, I, I do the five drinks. Yeah, I, I just, if I'm getting, if I go up to the a bartender and say, hey, I need five McUltras and five tequila shots, right? That's going to be a pretty, that's pretty relatively yeah. expensive right yeah. there. So I just, I'll, I'll do it kind of like a restaurant. Whatever it is, either keep the tab open, you mm-hmm. know, and just kind of bite the bullet at the end of the night or take it. And I'll do kind of a similar thing, Luke, if it came out to like, 52 bucks i'd either round it up to 6d or go like 62 or something like yeah. that treat your bartenders nice they work hard yes yeah, certainly if it's the first round too right yeah that's the idea you try to give them a nice tip and then they remember when you if you don't leave the tab open if you close out and then you got to come back for the drinks later on they may remember like oh yeah this guy tipped me nice the last time so you got to go a little heavy a little heavier on the first round but yeah i always go buy drink like some people look at that as just like one transaction i say if you're getting five drinks you got to give whatever your rule is. If you tip a dollar a drink, then you got to tip five bucks for for that round instead of just giving like one dollar for the five. If you get what I'm saying, instead of bunching it all together as just one order, you got to look at it as oh, I got five separate drinks in this one order. Let me give my rule for five separate separate tips. Now, do you uh, when when you do go out and have a uh, beverage with a couple buddies? Do you uh, are you the Venmo request guy? Like if you buy the no. first round, okay, good, okay, good. Because I'm I never that it all guy. Evens out. I'm never that guy. Yeah, eventually, hey, I'm gonna get this round. You get the next one. You get the next one. But I've had buddies before. While I wake up to a Venmo request of mm-hmm. like ten dollars and thirty cents, I'm like, you really did the math. You sat down and <laughs> understood how many drinks I had from your round and Venmo requested me for it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's like in Seinfeld. Jerry's parents uh, when they go down to Florida, and he's the next day he's totaling up the tab. And he's, <laughs> did you have a Coke? And he said, no, I didn't. I just had water. I think you got a Coke, right? And you got to charge him an extra $1.50. No, yeah, I figure over if they're good friends of yours that you spend a lot of time with, it evens out over time. And if it's going to be a long night, right, you rotate. All right, you get the next round, you get the next round, whatever. And it, you're buddies, so there's not a big deal. Uh, don't let money, you know, get in the way of a, a friendship. I'll tell you what, the last thing, and then we'll get, we'll get back to uh, college football. In college, um, I started working when I was in middle school. 
And I was able to just save up money because uh, what, what do you spend the money? You're living at home. Like, you have no bills. What do you spend the money on in high school? We'd spend money on silly stuff, on, like, hats and clothes you didn't need and uh, fast food. So, anyways, you know, I, I was able to save up money. I started working when I was in, like, seventh grade. And um, when I was in college, I had uh, a debit card. And I also, we would go to a popular bar where I knew the bartender from growing up. So I would usually put my card down, leave the tab open, mm. and then silly me, all my roommates and buddies would just go up to the bar and say, put it on Luke's tab. Ah. And at the end of the night, it would be a pretty big charge for the card. And in that case, I did not request, and they would not offer up any Venmo <laughs> requests either. I don't think we even had Venmo back then, but, but similar idea. So, uh, yeah, I, would, I took a beating on that each and every week. But they're, you know, they're your buddies, so you let it go. Yeah, you let it go for, for a certain amount of time, and then you're sitting down. It's like, all right, fellas, hey, let's go through the weekly expenses here. You know, <laughs> I, I just dropped 250 bucks at uh, Deco or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to need I'm gonna need to cough up a couple coins here. What are we doing? Yeah. You got to go get me my chicken parm sandwich today to make up for it. <laughs> so that's how it all even out. All right. Let's get back on schedule. Um, we've been focusing a lot about the, uh, on the Live Golf Tour. And today we had two more golfers move over in DeChambeau and, and Patrick Reed. I think the Live Golf Tour will lead to the PGA Tour looking a little bit like college football. And it may already be there. But in college football, the advent of the playoff system, what that did was it rendered a lot of other games kind of meaningless. And if a team's not in the conversation to go win their conference and therefore get to the playoff, you kind of block them out of your mind. And we just focus on the playoff, those three games at the end of the year. You don't care about bowl games anymore. And even in the regular season, you really only care. I mean, obviously, if you're a fan, it's different. If it's in your conference, it may be a little different. But at least nationally, like if that team already has a couple losses and they're not competing for the conference or a playoff spot, you never really hear about them. They're irrelevant to the conversation. It is all about the playoff. It's all about the biggest games of the year, which is what most sports are about. But college football used to be you had all these different bowl games, and just getting to a certain bowl was quite the accomplishment. Now, it doesn't matter if you go to one of those bowl games. It's just about the four playoff teams at the end of the year. And I think the PGA Tour, in conjunction with the USGA, will become similar. If it's not, it may already be like this. right? We have events every weekend in the golf world. You may be a golf fan, and you may only care about the four majors. I know the average golf fans or average sports fans, like myself, really only check in for the four majors. And I think that's only going to become worse because the more talent you lose to the Live Golf Tour, but if they're able to double dip and play and play in the majors, you're not going to care so much about, you know, we have the Travelers Championship coming up, which is in uh, the area in which I grew up, and I used to go to that all the time. So that's why that's at the tip of my tongue. We have the Travelers Championship coming up. And if you lose some of these bigger names, you're not going to care about the Travelers Championship. But if those big names are still able to play in the Masters or the Open, right, you're going to still pay attention to that. And so the PGA Tour will become a lot like college football where we only care if you're in the running for the playoff. And we only care about the playoff games, not the bowl games. It'll be similar here. We don't care about these other random events throughout the year. Just let us know when the four majors are. We'll tune in because we'll still have the big names that we love to see in those four majors. This will not be the end of it, right? More guys are going to go over to the Live Golf Tour. Um, We're just getting started here. You're going to see how much money these other golfers make. It's guaranteed money. It's less work. Shotgun starts, fewer days each weekend, only eight events in the year. Uh, I think that's going to continue to go on, and the PGA Tour is going to have to try to come up with some way to try to curb this, if at all possible. I've been saying from the beginning, you've got to be strict, and you've got to act, I think, pretty quick. The longer you let this linger on, I think only the worse it becomes for the PGA Tour or these major events as well. 
and I would have some sort of strict punishment for these guys that are jumping ship for the Live Golf Tour. Here is Phil Mickelson in his first public appearance in quite some time. He was at the press conference yesterday for the Live Golf Tour. And uh, I credit this reporter for going right at Phil and asking him straight up about uh, this decision and if it was about the money. And this is a pretty funny audio clip from yesterday where uh, Phil seemed to be a little caught off guard. didn't know exactly what to say. Here's how it transpired yesterday at that Live Golf Tour press conference. Can you just clarify? You've you've apologized again just now. Can you just clarify what you're apologizing for? Is it you're sorry for speaking the truth about the Saudis? Or are are you sorry for the shameless hypocrisy of taking their money anyway? I, I understand that many people have very strong opinions and may disagree with my decision. Um, and I can empathize with that. Um, but um, at this time, this is uh, an opportunity that gives me a, a chance to have the most balance uh, in my life uh, going forward, and I think this is going to do a lot of good for the game. A lot of good for the game. Come on, please. All these golfers saying that. As I said on the show yesterday, just go up there and be honest, and, and I, I, I won't have anything to say about it. I'll respect you a lot more. Just say, hey, look, answer to every question should be, whenever they, reporters ask, like, why are you doing this? What is it about this? They're giving me $200 million. As simple as that, because we know that's why the decision was made, and so I'll respect you for being honest with us, because we know. Everybody knows. So don't feed us this BS about, like, hey, it's going to grow the game. It's going to be good. You're just playing into this idea of, of sports washing that Saudi Arabia is using. Now, in that little clip there, uh, I think it's very humorous. Uh, Phil, you can even hear, like, smacking his lips, trying to come up with the words. I think what that was was Mickelson was trying to remember the response his PR team had to memorize. And he nailed it at first, right? You ever have to try to memorize like a speech for class or you're just giving a presentation and you don't want to be one of those people reading off the slides or reading off the paper? Um, or even maybe now in your career, you're giving presentations and you, you, know, you want to nail them, so you try to memorize what you're going to say. And you nailed, you, you get the first part and you're humming along and you think, this is going great. And then a couple minutes in, right, it's always easy to remember the, the beginning of it. Then the longer your speech goes, it's harder to memorize the whole thing. And that's what happened there with Phil is my guess. Like, he had the first, he was nailing it. He was rehearsed, he was ready, he had it memorized, this is what they wanted him to say about it, and then, oh, shoot, right, his mind just went blank, like, oh, what's the next part? And he keeps trying to go back to that and trying to think of it, and that's when he's stammering and smacking his lips, and like, oh, what am I supposed to say next? And he's running it back in his mind, like, yep, I'm supposed to start with this and this, and then it leads to that, oh, and then what was after that? And then he just had to kind of come up with his own answer, but made sure to nail the talking point at the end. His PR person was clenching her fist, <laughs> hoping that he got that statement out right. She was in the back of the room trying to like lip it to him. <laughs> she had cue cards, actually. She was holding up cue cards. <laughs> Say this when asked this. Yeah. And Phil, he was he was going along just fine, and then uh, I think the mind just went blank. And he's like, oh, shoot, what am I supposed to say next? These reporters that have been going to the uh, media availability, they've been they've been asking some crazy questions. There's no doubt where the golfers are just like sitting there like, I don't know, man. We hit we hit a ball and it goes in a hole and we get paid to do it. Like that's that's just bottom line. I just wish they would all just say, just give this almost like Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I won't get fined. <laughs> the same response, like I'm just here because they're paying me two hundred million. That should be the answer to everything because that's the reality. Simple. Yeah, they said uh, we played the clip from Graham McDonald. Like, I'm not a politician. We don't even need to get into that. Just be just you're here because you're getting paid a lot of money. You don't care where it's coming from as long as the check's clear and it's in your bank account. And I get that. And I've defended these guys from that sense. 
that it's uh, it really is for a lot of these guys. Now, not so, Mickelson, they believe, has made uh, $900 million in his career from on-the-course and off-the-course earnings. So I'm not as sympathetic for Phil Mickelson, who already has almost a billion dollars made in his career. I don't think he's as desperate. But a young guy like a Taylor Gooch, I get it. Somebody comes along and offers you $100 million for less work. That's hard to turn down when it's guaranteed money. But, you know, just be honest with us. We all know why. By the way, a lot of people are giving Phil a hard time for his uh, his look, the way he looks. Yeah, he. I've seen some uh, Keanu Reeves comparisons uh, on the internet and a couple other ones. You, you know, this is uh, this is unhinged Phil that we're seeing here. This is the latter half of his career, Phil, and uh, I just hope he brings out some like pit viper glasses or something super cool and just uh, go into the full heel role at this point. Because nobody, there's nobody. I feel like in Jeremy, you know, definitely said it. There's nobody right now in the golf community that loves Phil Mickelson anymore. Like, he, he's kind of gone out the window, so just go full heel in this live golf tour. and abs- it's, Turn it into WWE. Who cares? Yeah, he should. Lean into it. Almost feels like he's having, like, a midlife crisis. He showed up. He was wearing all black. He had, like, a leather jacket. He had the slick back hair. He had a little, little peach fuzz going. And he was also looking a little, uh, I don't know if even tan. Maybe more, like, kind of like sunburnt, really. I don't know. Phil wasn't looking too great, and a lot of people were mocking him online. A little disheveled, but we know that that outfit there was uh, paid by the uh, by the Live Golf Tour because that oh, thing I'm was sure. expensive. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyways, we'll see how things go this weekend. When we come back, uh, Clemson having a pretty good week on the recruiting trail, and there's an obvious reason why, and uh, I would say it's also long overdue. The Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Coming up, the most improved college football teams. And I'll even give you the teams I think will take the biggest step back for each Power 5 conference as well. The more Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Just search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And uh, the podcast is also available online, charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. We'll get to Clemson coming up because they've already had a good start to their week, and I'll explain why and why it may be long overdue. But when you think of teams that will take a step forward this year, let's look at this conference by conference. And I jotted down some teams as well in the last few minutes that I also would, would give you the opposite. Teams I think will uh, take a step back from last year. So who's moving up, who's moving down in each of the Power 5 conferences? In the Big Ten, I think it's obvious to pick a team that will have a better year this year. And I think it's Nebraska. A couple of things with Nebraska. You have Scott Frost, who's coaching for his job. He had to take a pay cut this past year. He had to fire his entire staff. The last thing left to do is fire Scott Frost. So he's certainly on the hot seat. But last year, and I'm sure you've heard all about it, and you followed it and you saw it, Nebraska, yes, they were 3-9 and nine a year ago, but they outscored their opponents. Of their nine losses, eight were by one score. All nine were by single digits, and that includes facing six ranked teams. So this wasn't, you know, Panera Bread they were losing by a touchdown. They played six ranked teams last year, lost them all, but all by one score. They're not, they were not that far off, which is why I was actually surprised that they ran out of town, the whole coaching staff. 
because anybody following that team, I mean, they just seem snake bit. They just have bad luck. And when they won, they won big. Now, granted, it was against Fordham, Buffalo, Northwestern. They beat three bad teams, but they beat them all by over 25 points. They blew out in their three wins. They blew out their opponents. So they won big. They lost close. Now, if you listen to the show, you could probably guess what I'm about to say next. I'm huge on run differential and point differential. And point differential is a great tool to use to try to predict the future. Look at baseball. Right? I warned you a couple of weeks ago, I think the Red Sox were going to uh, start going on a run because the run differential was still positive. Last week, I said the Phillies. The Phillies went, you know, won four in a row. We'll see how they do the rest of the way. Run differential is a great stat to use that even when if a team has a losing record but they're outscoring their opponent, it lets you know they're a little better than the record indicates. Same idea in basketball, in football. So Nebraska, they were 3-9 and nine and still outscored their opponents last year. That lets you know that they're due for a big bounce back this year. I'm not telling you they're going to go win the conference, but they won three games last year. I think easily they could double that win total this year, go to a bowl game. Now, that may not be saying much because that's still a 6-6 six and six season, but I think Nebraska will be vastly improved. Maybe they win seven, right? They won only three last year. I think they'll be much better. I think they'll be the most improved team in the Big Ten. They were close last year. They won only one conference game, but all their losses were so close. And you, you probably recall Nebraska and Illinois was like the first college football game of the year. And what a frustrating game it was. They lost by eight, and they had plenty of chances, and that's just set them up for the rest of their season. A lot of close calls that they couldn't quite pull off. The team, I think, that takes the biggest step back, I've been saying this all offseason, I think it's Michigan. Now, they won the conference a year ago, so the step doesn't even have to be that huge for them to be in a much different position this year. But I keep comparing them to Florida. I don't think they'll be as bad as Florida was last year. But a lot of similar trends. A coach that maybe rubs people the wrong way, a little brash, a little out there, was flirting with other opportunities in the offseason after having a good year. They were both surprisingly good years. Michigan doing something they had never done under Harbaugh. And Mullen getting Florida to the conference championship game and um, even battling with Alabama in the SEC title game. And then Florida, of course, lost all their weapons. Right, their quarterback, their tight end, their wide receiver, and they were an offensive team. Michigan then lost their best two defensive players, and they were more about a defensive team last year, and they lost them to the NFL draft. Lost coordinators, Michigan did. I think Ohio State will be better this year. I think Michigan's the team that will take, I guess you could say, the biggest step back. I'm also concerned about Michigan State and the sustainability with how Mel Tucker built that program around the transfer portal. I'm curious to see. That's going to be a, a good experiment. And Iowa last year was a top 25 team. They have such a hard schedule this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they took a step back. But none will be more noticeable, I would say, than Michigan because they were a playoff team a year ago, won the conference, beat Ohio State. I don't think they're going to do any of those things this year. And I'm a hardball guy, but I just got to be honest. In the Pac-12, I think when you look at the Pac-12, the obvious candidate is USC. I think USC will take the biggest step forward. They won four games last year. I think they win at least twice as many. I think they win at least eight this year. Now, I've been saying all offseason, I think Utah still wins the conference. I don't think USC does, but they'll still be vastly improved. And how could you not with the influx of talent? Just by making that quarterback change, Caleb Williams, that's a huge difference. The coaching change, uh, Lincoln Riley's a big upgrade. I think USC will be much better this year. They'll be the most improved. If I had to, take a t- if I had to pick a team that would take the biggest step back in the Pac-12, I may stay in that same area, coaching change, and say Oregon, uh, uh, they were in the um, – Oregon uh, was in the conference championship game. They lose Mario Cristobal, replace him with Dan Lanning, first-time head coach. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of a learning curve there for Oregon. Plus, they lost their, you know, the running back transfer to USC. I could, say, I could see them or maybe Arizona State as things continue to hit the fan there. Herm Edwards has lost some coaches. 
they're still waiting to hear about the violations because they cheated during the pandemic. And Arizona State a year ago won eight games, six and three in the conference. I could see things kind of catching up to them and taking a step back. In the Big 12, we'll save, of course, the ACC and the SEC for last. In the Big 12, um, a team that would take the uh, biggest step forward in the Big 12, I'm going to say Texas. I'm going to buy into a little bit of that hype. I mean, they missed a bowl game last year, had a losing record. It was their worst year in decades, so it, it's not asking much to be better. But they were 5-7 and seven last year overall. I think they have a winning record. I think they'll be one of the better teams. Not the best, but one of the better teams in the Big 12. I trust Sarkeesian. He brought in Quinn Ewers. If Ewers is as advertised, then Texas could be really interesting. But I think Texas will be the most improved team in the Big 12. I also think uh, Texas Tech, after their coaching change, could be improved. And the team to take the biggest step back, I probably would have said Iowa State, but we already saw that last year. And they finished at only 7-6 and six a year ago. I would think, I would look at the Oklahomas in the Big 12. Oklahoma State won the conference last year, and they were a top-10 team. I thought that was a little overachieving. I don't think they repeat it. And I'd also say just Oklahoma. You lose Lincoln Riley, you replace him with Brent Venables. You go from an offensive uh, philosophy to a defensive philosophy. Uh, I just think there's going to be a little bit of uh, a learning curve there as Venables builds his culture and gets his guys, and he's a first-time head coach. He'll be learning on the fly a little bit. And Oklahoma finished last year in the top 10. I don't think they'll be a top-10 team this year. Uh, So I think Oklahoma will take a big step back. Then we get to the ACC and the SEC. Now, in the ACC, the team that I think think takes uh, the biggest step forward, the ACC is difficult. Uh, When I was looking at the ACC, you could say, you know, maybe uh, Virginia or Virginia Tech, they were 500 last year. They made coaching changes, right? Maybe Tony Elliott gets them going. Uh, You know, like a UNC under Mac Brown, they were under 500 last year. Maybe they finally get it going, kick it into high gear. Is this the year Florida State takes a big step forward? I don't know. I don't trust any of those teams. So I would say Miami. Now, Miami did go 7-5 and five last year. They finished in second in the Coastal. So it wasn't like they were terrible. But I think they win the Coastal this year. I think they'll be one of the best teams in the ACC. I think they'll be in the ACC title game. And I really like the fit of Mario Cristobal in Miami. Could they win maybe 10 games? Possibly. And they won seven last year. So that could be a pretty big increase in that conference. On the flip side, the team that will take the biggest step back, I also think it's in the Coastal. I think it's Pittsburgh. They lost their quarterback, who was the first drafted quarterback in the NFL draft this year. They lost their offensive coordinator, so there goes the offensive system as well. Pittsburgh last year, they were 7-1 and in the conference. They were a top-15 team. They were in the conference title game. Uh, I don't think it happens again. And in the SEC, the team that takes the biggest step forward, the SEC is also interesting to come up, at least for me, with a clear candidate. Uh, I would say I look at coaching changes like a couple of these other teams. For me, I would say Florida, they won two conference games a year ago. I think they'll be vastly improved this year simply by making a coaching change. And I think Anthony Richardson will be a tough quarterback. And I also say um, LSU, they finished in last place. They won three games. And I think they're better because of the coaching change. And Brian Kelly has won everywhere he's gone immediately. If you go back and you look, the last three schools he was at, he had success year one. I think he'll have success year one at LSU. Doesn't mean they're going to compete for the SEC, but I think they win at least seven, eight, games this year and they they were under 500 last year three and five in the conference i think they'll be much better those are the two teams i think take uh, the biggest step forward this year in the sec biggest step back this was a harder choice to make because i think georgia kentucky obviously alabama i'm big on arkansas i think all of those teams will be at the top of the sec again the 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 one on the outside looking in i, I would have to say Ole miss and i put them in the same category as pittsburgh right lost their talented quarterback 
Also, both teams lost their offensive coordinators. A lot of changes. Ole Miss brought in a lot of transfers. If I had to pick a team in the SEC that will take the biggest step back, I would take my chances with Ole Miss. Alabama and Georgia are staples. I like what Kentucky's doing. And Arkansas I'm a big fan of. And I think Arkansas will actually be better this year than last year. So that really only leaves Ole Miss because all the other teams were 500 or worse. So they can't really take a huge step back to begin with. I would pick Ole Miss as my candidate in the SEC. A lot of it obviously comes down to losing a coach or losing a quarterback or gaining a coach and quarterback. That's the most important pieces of the football team. But those are the candidates I look at that I think will take the biggest step forward and the biggest step back in each of the Power Five conferences this year. Nebraska, USC, Texas, Miami, Florida, and throw in LSU as well. I think the teams that will be the best, the most improved in each conference. When we come back, Clemson's having a good week, and it's simple to see why. And I'll also tell you it's probably four years overdue. The More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Hey, we were talking movies earlier. Maybe we'll dive a little bit more into this tomorrow, but uh, that Adam Sandler basketball movie, Ooh, I yeah. think, uh, came out today Did it on, on Netflix. On Netflix, okay. Yeah, called Hustle. So uh, should we – actually, the NBA is on tonight. I can't watch yeah, it because we could give a full review tomorrow. Maybe we save that for Friday, potentially? Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Okay. A little movie, uh, Morrow Midday movie review. I don't know another M word. That triple M F. That's what. Yeah, that rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> a little triple M F for, for Friday. Sounds like something else. Um, but uh, yeah, I've heard good things. Really? They uh, had the premiere last night in Philadelphia. I think it was released to theaters like last week. Ah. But Netflix uh, today. So some people have already seen it over the weekend. I've heard good things. Love Adam Sandler. I'll certainly check it out one way, one way or another. Isn't uh, isn't LeBron on the uh, creative team for uh, this be. movie? If I'm not mistaken, he may be. There's a bunch of NBA guys uh, in it. I know, like Anthony Edwards is in it. Boban. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is great. So I'll check it out. We'll see. Maybe we'll turn it into a show segment uh, by the end of the week. Um, yeah, NBA playoffs tonight uh, on the Celtics in Game Three. Big one tonight. I think the Celtics bounce back. But Clemson, they've had a good week. Since we've been on the air today, they picked up another commitment. So that's now uh, four this week, and we're only here on Wednesday afternoon. Now, of these four, I know at least three, maybe all four, were visiting this past weekend. So this is something we talked about last week on the show when Dabo acknowledged that he was changing this rule. Four years ago, the NCAA changed the rules where schools can have kids come on official visits starting at the beginning of June and uh, the school, it could be an official visit, right? The school can have them on, and you can pay for it, yada, yada, yada. And Dabo at the time, and he stuck to this for the last four years, said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to wait till the fall. And as I said last week, and this kind of proves the point, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't have chose Clemson anyways if they had to wait till the fall. But these guys were at Clemson this past weekend. They committed this week. A lot of times, if you're car shopping, you see the car you really like, it may be the first one you see. And you may think, like, all right, let me go check a couple other ones out. But you can't get that car out of your mind. Sometimes you really like a car so much, you just buy it. It's the first one you see. We don't need to stop the search. We don't need to look anywhere else. This is the perfect car. 
Same idea with the house, right? Sometimes they find that dream house right away. And so Clemson, if they were waiting till the fall and saying, ah, they'll come visit us in the fall. They could go see all these other schools in the summer. I would have to go do some sort of study to, to crunch the numbers and look into it, you know, but you run the risk of those kids never making it to you. They visit some other schools in the summer, and they already make up their mind, like, now nah, this is the place for me. No one else can top it. This was great. And so here for Clemson, they had eight guys visit this past weekend, first time they've done it, and we got three of them. Maybe the fourth one was there this past weekend. I know at least th- three of the four commits this week were there this past weekend. So now you're turning these into immediate uh, commits, which is good. And it also shows a little bit of a change in the philosophy for Dabo and Clemson, and then you see that immediate success. And when you see immediate success, maybe it leads to, say, you know, oh, this isn't so bad, right? You ever do something like that? You're a little hesitant. You're dragged into it. All right, fine, right? We'll go there, or we'll do that, or fine, we'll go see that movie. And then you realize, like, oh, actually, you know what? This movie isn't as bad as I thought it'd be. All right, maybe we could go see the other movie, too, you were talking about. All right, maybe we can do some of these other things that the sport's moving in the direction of. Now, I always reference this study because I find it really interesting. But they did a study a few years ago with over 22,000 people, so a large sample size. And I mentioned this earlier, and I've mentioned it before in the show. But they would force you to make a change. You would flip a coin. It would be that simple. And if it was heads, you'd have to make a change. If it was tails, keep doing what you're doing. And it'd be about simple things, and it'd also be about some big things. So the people willing to do this, this study and be forced to make some of these changes, it included, you know, should I start my own business? Should I propose? Should I grow facial hair? Things like that all over the, the spectrum from everything, big decisions to little decisions. And based off of that coin flip, you have to make a certain decision on that question, whatever that question may be for you. And anyways, long story short, they tracked these people over a period of months, and they found two months in, the people that didn't make a change were actually happier. But by the time you got six months in, the people that were forced to make a change were actually far happier than those who didn't. So early on, Right, you're making that change. You're going through something different. And you think, eh, I don't know, it's not really for me. And then it kind of becomes the new norm. You settle in and you look back on it months, years, whatever, even just days later, and realize like, oh yeah, you know what? It wasn't that big of a deal. This is much better. And you forget what things were like before. And so I say all that because for Dabo, like it took four years to get to this point, and that's almost like the two month portion of the study. Two months in, you check back in, and the people that didn't make the change, yeah, oh, yeah, we're good, we're happy, we're fine. And those that were forced to make the change are a little hesitant. Like, I don't know if we should be doing this. But by the time you advanced a little bit further, got to the six-month stage, it flipped. And those that didn't make a change were not as happy as those who were forced to make a change. So Dabo stayed firm for four years, at least on this rule. Four years in, right, he was, he was still happy up until this point. Four years in now, you reach that point where it changes, and you realize, like, okay, you know what? I probably should do something different that will be better for me. And sometimes you're forced to make that change, and sometimes being forced to do so is the best thing for you. And then you look back and realize, like, actually, that wasn't bad at all. That's much better than what I was doing before. And this is such this is just a minor thing, but look at the results. He had eight kids on campus this past weekend. First time they did it, boom, within 48 hours later, you got four commits. Why wait until the fall? You don't have to. Other schools aren't. And if this starts working out and you see the success, maybe it leads to the idea of, like, oh, you know what? Actually, maybe we should try the transfer portal. Maybe it won't be as bad as we thought, or our concerns won't actually play out. But it's no coincidence to me that they had kids on this past weekend for an official visit for the first time, and now you get four kids that are committing at least three of the four, maybe all four, were there this past weekend. That's what happens. You see the dream house, you say, we don't need to look at any other houses. This is perfect. So why wait around until the fall hoping they're going to come to you when you could go get them right away like now? 
And that's what Clemson's starting to do. And I would say it's probably four years overdue after they changed these rules four years ago. We'll wrap up your Wednesday when we come back. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Wrapping up your Wednesday and the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And you can also take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Download that app today, and there you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least eight different states and multiple countries on this Wednesday. We have game three of the NBA Finals tonight. I do think the Celtics win tonight, but still don't win the series, even though game three in a 1-1 series is always huge. The Celtics have not lost. This is going to be a real test, right? The Celtics have not lost back-to-back games in the playoffs and only once over the past about five months. Could it happen tonight on their home floor? So I think the Celtics win. Therefore, I might as well take them to cover as well. And Trent, it was what the over on Clay Thompson? Over 18.5 Clay Thompson, over 12.5 uh, Jordan Poole. Run it up, put the mortgage on it. Yeah. Don't do that, but <laughs> maybe maybe uh, be safe. And we'll see how it goes tonight. I meant to bring that up. I forgot. Clay Thompson says to motivate himself, he watches old games of himself. Game six, Clay. That's what we need tonight. Yeah, and he referred to himself in the third person. I wonder what that's like as he's sitting there watching. Like, yeah, Clay. Yeah, you make that shot. I wonder what that experience is like as he sits there watching himself score a bunch of points on YouTube in the third person. We'll see how he does tonight. Whatever happens, we'll break it down tomorrow on the show. If you miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. The more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.